during the age of constant connection, there is a force like gravity that shapes the inner and outer boundaries of our media. The pure force of signal, the pressures and colors of knowledge, the invisible barrier. The ears of many hear the story of few, and few can relate. This connection of orbiting voices is the next paradox of the century. Like the parts of it that are physiological or biological, I do think some of it is intentional because I think, you know, I think it's important to remember that like the great reset types, you know, the globalists or whatever, you know, a lot of them do think that they're the good guys. You know, they think, you know, some of them I'm sure are psychopaths, but some of them are a large percentage of them. I assume think that they think that they're doing the right thing that, you know, them, you know, globally managing everything, you know, is better for all of humanity. Um, so I'm sure some of it's intentional. Hey, I just want to say that uh, uh, we have been only tracking testosterone for the past 20-ish years. And um, one thing that I have noticed is that, or I've been researching a little bit on, is that tobacco has been known to increase testosterone. And we have been smoking for decades and now reaching uh, late 90s, uh, to the 2000s, we have been stopped. We have been declining on smoking, and so there could be a correlation between uh, the decline of our testosterone level and the decline of us smoking. I generally do believe that we have been, been we have been getting bombarded by estrogen and like micro, in microplastics or in our uh, pesticide and fertilizer, but uh, I, I don't necessarily believe that we usually had a high testosterone level like we used to. I think there were other factors that were playing into that, such as tobacco. Just to just like keep that in the back of our heads. We percent vouch for that, man. Like um, a Mohawk, Kona Nishani. We we uh, we use we use tobacco for thousands of generations. All sacred so, plant. You know? I, an, another thing. I mean, that's an interesting point. I've heard kind of conflicting information, but I wouldn't doubt it about tobacco increasing testosterone. Um, but also it's like, if you think about all the e-boys out there in the world who are cooming, like, you know, so many times a day, it's like semen retention is like a secret kind of power. And I think naturally, like in societies where the cultures were, um, I don't know, I guess less sexualized, like now it's like, it's totally normal for literally a nine year old boy. Um, I think it's something like 90% between nine and 12 years old have experienced like hardcore pornography. And so like that really, like if you're cooming all the time, you're literally just wasting away your testosterone. And so, you know, no fop man. And, uh, and then you can like bring yourself back to an appropriate level of testosterone. I think that would probably heal 90% of the weak, um, testosterone males in our culture. Right. I think there's something to that because, you know, up until fairly recently, you've had to, you know, in order to, to be able to get that coom, so to speak, you, you'd have had to accomplish something or be a desirable, you know, desirable man to, to achieve that. And you, you do that by, you know, improving yourself and improving your financial situation, improving your physical situation. It's very accessible now. It's, you know, probably three, three or four clicks away for most of us, you know, without the self-control to, to manage that. So the, the gratification is, you know, it is almost like a time preference thing. Now that I'm kind of thinking this out. Yeah, I think you hit on those. It's about self-control and, and getting that, uh, 
that dopamine high uh, after the reward, not necessarily every second of the day. And so you're, you're numbing yourself. I, I don't think it's about testosterone retention or uh, I don't think it has to do so much about the hormones as much as it is the dopamine receptors getting numb. Self-control is also what the Bible's all about. <laughs> Just want to throw that out there. That's a fair point, but I mean, I do. I, I have a feeling it, it does affect you on a hormonal level as well. Like, I, I definitely think it does. Yeah, all you have to do is just do it for yourself. Like, if you if you experiment with semen retention, you will see definitely like a, a noticeable difference. And I think it's just the body's way of telling you that like you need to go out there and smash. And so if you if you're if you think about it from a biological biological perspective, like if you're just sitting at home jerking off all day, you're going to be less motivated to go out there and find like a meaningful woman. And so I think just naturally it's, it's a uh, built into people to, or built into men to go out there and like look for kind of like a place to put your seed. And so if you're sitting at home popping, like, nah, that's not going to happen. You're going to be less motivated to do that. So definitely the most interesting uh, church service I've been to all week. Yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're relatively quote-unquote liberal over, over, over here, but we're not actually liberal. Are you guys uh, familiar with um, the Old Testament story of the Nephilim? Is anyone not familiar with that? Yes, I, I, yes, I am definitely familiar with this. Very, very interesting thing to kind of randomly bring up. Go on. So there's, there's, hypo, there's hypothetical theories, basically, amongst a lot of the scholarly theologians about you know, perhaps part of why, um, like, assuming the story of the Great Flood is, like, entirely true and not partially or entirely metaphor. Um, well, moving on. Anyway, the part of, a lot of people theorize that part of why God wanted to start over is not just because, oh, humanity is super evil, um, but also because, um, maybe because the gene pool had been corrupted by the Nephilim, um, and that, you know, that is not an option if, you know, there's going to be a, a, a messiah coming later, you know, utilizing the human genome to manifest in the world. Um, that's just not an option. Um, and so there's, you know, some theologians think that maybe that was part of the reasoning behind the Great Flood was just to kind of to wipe out the Nephilim and, you know, restore the purity of the human genome. Um, and uh, so it, all of that to say, you know, attacking human biology is not a new strategy uh, for Satan. Yeah, and for anybody who's not familiar with the story, the Nephilim in the Bible are, uh, it's not super clear exactly about uh, what they are, but they're described, uh, you know, in some translations as giants or uh, like mighty men of renown, but they were basically these uh, you know, kind of like superhumans who are roaming the earth and uh, going around uh, impregnating fully human women and, and creating offspring. Yeah, if you if you read the story of Noah, it's it's very brief right before it says the Nephilim were in the land and they were the heroes of the day. And it says that the, the, the sons of God, you know, saw that the daughters of man were attractive and took them for wives. And um, that's basically all it says. But if you read... Um, if you dig into the Book of Enoch, which is apocrypha, so it's you know not canon for most 
I mean, there are some parts of like the Orthodox Church um, that treat it as canon, um, but for most of like quote unquote, especially Protestant Christianity, it's not considered canon. Anyway, all that to say, the Book of Enoch, Enoch is Moses's either grandfather or great grandfather. I can't remember which. Um, and based, I'm sorry, not Moses. Wow, Noah. Um, and basically, it, it breaks down the story of various like demon princes negotiating with. Um, like human tribal chieftains for access to their women, and they give them um, technology in exchange for access to women. So, like the idea might be that you know humans figured out metallurgy um, and how to make brass and later copper and iron weapons and steel eventually because of this knowledge that they were given. Um, and so that's kind of the, the story of the origin of the Nephilim. Basically, in exchange for that, they were given access to to human women, and they bred and procreated. Um, and even though theoretically the Nephilim would all have been wiped out by the flood, it's also theorized that Goliath was likely some sort of Nephilim. Question is, who's the Nephilim? You know, I never thought about Goliath, but that actually makes sense. And then, like, the question that I SLS is, you know, who is the Nephilim now? You know, because I think, you know, some people think the Nephilim are gone, but, you know, I, I kind of lean towards they're not. Uh, whether offspring or not, you know? Yeah, some, some theologians that do a lot of studying of, like, end times stuff um, theorize that it's very likely that the Nephilim will return around the time that things are all coming to an end. So it's something to think about. Does anybody have any interesting uh, takes on the eschatology? Because I know that's something that, um, at least for, for me, has been really hard to interpret. I've had like very, very hard time kind of getting through Revelation and un really understanding that. So I'm just wondering, is, you know, does anyone have any interesting uh, insights or thoughts on that? This is Moses. This is, this is Moses's area for sure. <laughs> Sorry, what's that, Bill? I was uh, I was away from it. What'd you say? He's asking about, uh, you got any theories on the book of Revelation? <laughs> oh, do I ever? Got all sorts of theories, bro. Um, actually, this ties into what you were just talking about with the Nephilim and all this stuff. I have a theory, um, a hypothesis, I guess. It's just an opinion. But that, um, I, I don't know how to explain this. I, my Christian perspective is is very un, uh, un, unorthodox. It's kind of my own thing. It's my own conclusions on things. Um but I believe that a lot of these things reference it speaks specifically of um, plant medicines, specifically mushrooms. I think a lot of it revolves around that. And when it comes to deities and demons and Nephilim and all these things, I, I believe that they were probably interdimensional beings that were communicated to um, through the use of some of these rituals. That's, um, they, uh, that's just an opinion. And uh, as far as revelations go, I think that that really is a prophecy um, it really is a vision of the future that <clears throat> the writer had and even says in the beginning that he was in the spirit um, and he spoke to an angel clothed in fine white linen. Um, and if you've ever seen mycelium, it looks exactly like fine white linen. Um, and there's a lot to the book, but there's certain things that I've, I think have already happened. I have a different perspective of the timeline than most Christians would. Um, I think that the most of all the the stuff that's happened 
is explained has has happened. Uh, I think that the great star falling from heaven into the sea is the uh, atomic bomb that was dropped on Japan. Um, Fukushima came from Japan, also polluted the waters. There's definitely a third of the sea creatures dead. There's definitely a third of the, the beasts gone. I mean, just look at the Great Plains used to be covered in buffalo, right? Um, the the third of the a third of a third all the a third of the fish, a third of the creatures, and a third of the trees is is gone. Um, I think that um, a lot of the beasts described is uh, machines, and and sort of the smoke going up forever and ever kind of represents like if you just look at like a uh, a city like the smog, you know, I don't know. I just think that these are things that he, he saw from, from, from a perspective that he couldn't describe in the words that he had access to. So he just kind of like wrote down what it looked like to him. And it describes certain things like Bitcoin being referenced directly. Um, there's a few verses you can look up, look up revelations two seventeen, uh, revelations three eighteen. I think those are explicit references to Bitcoin. Um, I also think that the, um, mark of the beast so-called, quote-unquote, uh, no man can buy or sell without this. Uh, I think that it's, a, it's not necessarily a single thing. I think that it, it, it definitely goes at the far end of things to like a digital identity, central bank-controlled uh, currency. I think that that's kind of where that goes. But I think that I've heard this recently that it's just that the fiat system in general, because either you have a debt on your head or it's the cash in your hand, right? Um, and you kind of have to use that to, to exist. And if you don't use that, you can't buy or sell. So that kind of ties into it. Um, I think that, yeah, the end of the fiat system is like the beast system. And if you look at Revelations 22, um, 21 and 22, but specifically 22, it mentions in verse uh, 2, um, uh, verse 1 and 2, I think that what that's describing is like a hydroponic sort of hemp, hemp kind of power plant, which um, is theoretically possible. And if, if, per se, everyone in the world used the hemp plant as their base resource, um, you could have all the comforts of, of modern society without shipping goods around the world, right? Uh, most of our problems come, as far as ecological destruction, they come from the shipping of energy and goods around the world. So I think that where Bitcoin brings us is a decentralized future because we can create decentralized energy. And then because we fix the energy problem, we create a surplus of energy, right? It says that they need no light of the sun, neither light of a candle. Um, <clears throat> it says those things. There's, there's a lot, but um, it's just, it's just an idea I have that it, it's kind of just, I've concluded. Um, I was raised very fundamental Christian. I rejected it in my teens. Um, and then I did a lot of psychedelics. Um, in my 20s, um, and DMT, psilocybin, things like that, made me conclude that, um, well, there's definitely not a God, but there's definitely God, for sure. Um, and I think that if you look at reality that we live within, the, the consciousness is layer one and matter is layer two. And we kind of have it backwards. We perceive things to be the other way around. I think that we'll figure that out one day um, and prove it. But for now, it's just uh, it's just something that I intuitively feel, and I think that um, yeah, all the all the all the all the encounters with God, going back to Moses and the burning bush, um, it says the first thing he did was cast off his shoes because uh, the ground he was on was holy, right? And then he kind of tripped out, threw his rod on the ground, and then it turned into a snake, and he picked it back up, and it was a rod, and his hand was just he was getting leprosy on and off, putting his hand in and out of his pocket. Um, these are kind of things that happen on a trip, especially if you're on DMT. Um, my first time doing DMT, 
I, I, I was, I felt this terrible feeling as I left my body that I was disconnected from the ground because I was wearing rubber shoes. And the last thing I could do before I kind of like left my awareness of my body was rip my shoes and my socks off and, and touch the ground. Um, and as soon as I touched the ground, I was felt instantly calm and like accepting. And many say that like the DMT experience is like the death experience or going through that. And it was, yeah, it was the most terrifying thing to me that I felt like I was disconnected from the earth. And um, that's kind of in a way almost like disconnection from God in a way, because if you look at that's God's creation and he created things to be in a certain way. Right. Um, and yeah, just certain little things like that have spoke to me that made me um, realize that it was probably based on the use of these medicines that kind of led to these conclusions. Um, and I think that it prophesied us getting to a type one society. And that's what revelations 22 is, is a type one society where we get to and not so much like a, a different dimension. Cause I think that a lot of, a lot of Christianity gets discussed in esoteric sort of projection, and it's and it's a lot of arguing about semantics and with what we're. But I think that the principles, especially the teachings of Christ, are um, those of like anarchy and um, self governance. And he was almost like a uh, what's the word? He was like a revolutionary, you know. And I think that what he was revolutionizing against was the empirical force that Rome was, right? And and that's why it was such a such a powerful movement early on and why it was hijacked by, let's say, the Catholic Church and things like that. But yeah, I'll stop. <clears throat> oh, that was a great take on all of this. Thank you for verbalizing it. Are there psychedelics in the Middle East? More specifically mushrooms? Definitely. Or God as well, which um, is what manna describes. Wait, so you really think that manna is ergot? Like, is ergot calorically dense enough to live off of? Well, it says they also had doves, right? They didn't just eat manna. Is that so? I mean, I'm I'm not as I'm probably not as familiar with it as you. Yeah, if you read the text, it says that the Lord God provided them doves. Um, so they had the manna and the doves. And the, but the manna was specifically the food from heaven, right? Because if you didn't understand plant biology and and you're used to plants, and all of a sudden there's this thing that grows like frost on the ground, and if you don't eat it, by the end of the day it's rotten. I feel like is uh just like exactly describes Urgot and they would definitely trip out about it. So it would definitely be like food from heaven per se, I guess. Right. This is the concept of like, if you look through the new Testament, and this is an argument from someone called John A. Allegro. Um, he was a linguist who looked at the Dead Sea Scrolls and he determined that every time the word Christ or lamb was referenced throughout the new Testament, it was a cuneiform, like a Sumerian cuneiform name in a Greek text. And it was kind of like out of place. And then he's, he's, a, he's a linguistic and he understood uh, Sumerian cuneiform. And he argued that what they were talking about was the same plant goddess and goddesses names that had been used all the way back to like Sumeria. And he was saying that they were kind of using this story to like run these letters out underneath the Romans authorities nose. So the Romans, Roman authorities got the letters. They wouldn't really understand what was being spoken about. If they didn't like, if you know, you know, like he that hath an ear, let him hear kind of sort of speak. Like, I think that 
there's a lot of cryptography in the in the in the Bible in the New Testament in the way it was written because you got to consider that it was a rebellious movement that at the time was inherently like anti-political, right? And um, I think that there was a lot of like they they persecute like what Nero did to the Christians, like he openly made them his enemies. Um, and I think that we have to take into account the time that it was written, things like that. Um, I do believe there was a man named Jesus. I do believe that he was a, a righteous man and lived these principles. Um, but I, I, I think that as you go through the gospel, especially the teachings of Paul um, and, and, and stuff like that, he, I think that he's trying to, like it says he was walking the road to Damascus and he, and he kind of had this revelation and then he, he was struck by a bright light from heaven. Um, the, the, the concept of the body, even Paul says this in some of his writings to Galatians that like, uh, some of you have eaten of the wrong body and you've slept. Um, and, and if you, if mushrooms can be easily mistaken for other poisonous varieties, if you take the wrong variety, you might die. Um, and there's this concept of the body and the blood and, and the, and the concept of wine. If you look at the word wine in the new Testament, um, it kind of refers to pharma, the Greek root of pharma. And that's like, um, like that's how they used to actually use plant medicines was they would kind of brew them in wine and that's how they'd extract the psychoactive ingredients. So that's what's referred to every time it's used as wine in the new Testament. And the concept of turning water into wine can happen with psilocybin and, um, the use of sort of these, like the, the plant that doesn't exist. There's, you don't plant a seed, you don't do anything and it's not there. And then the next morning, the whole thing grows. And then if you eat of this thing, you're transported to a place where you seemingly communicate with God. And it's like, okay, well, that would be the flesh of God from that perspective, right? It literally is like John 1, 1. If you read John 1, 1, um, to me, that's kind of trying to explain what it is. It's like that this is God manifested in our reality. And when you partake of God's body and drink of, its, of God's blood, you are then, you can communicate with God directly. And I think that he says things like, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. And, I, and that to me is like the experience of going through a full psychedelic journey. You are, you feel born again after that. You, you're, you feel a death of ego or a death of self and you feel a reborn, especially on a DMT trip. You, you physically experience your senses come back and your physical body manifest around your consciousness. And it, and it, feels like being born it's it's a it's a wild feeling and and it's like um some of these things are just explicitly said in all the teachings of christ like love your neighbor as yourself and these concepts like there's no law but love your neighbor as yourself it's like you know those things on psychic like if you take mushrooms these things kind of become known to you it's like a deep feeling you get and it's hard to put into words without it um and, and I, that's why i just feel like yeah the the, the, the reference of psychedelics is throughout the whole text and um yeah just the fact that even in revelations 22 back to that it says the leaves of the tree will be for the healing of the nations right so it's 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 just yeah there's a there's there's a lot to unpack but um there's the 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 high priests if you look at how the temple was built the inner chamber like the holiest of holies um, it was designed to be a hot box chamber and if you listen to the ingredients that are listed and what kind of went into the, into the, into the, um, you know, the incense they would burn. Um, it, it's, it, there's psychedelic components in there. 
Um, and, and there's references to what could be cannabis. There's references to a few other things. Um, and there's bushes that grow in the area that have high DMT content. So getting the, the bark of, the, of, those, of these DMT in that incense and that smoke and hotboxing the chamber, um, you would, you'd get yourself in a different state and you would be communicating with things that, you know, you wouldn't recognize on this plane of reality. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of different things that are speculative, but they do have some form of, I think, connect, connect connection. I really got like mind blown by all this. I'm like fascinated. I love it. Yeah, there's a re a good book to read. I recommend is uh, a Sacred Mushroom in the Cross. Um, John Allegro, like I said, he was one of the linguists who looked at the Dead Sea Scrolls. He wrote this book, um, and and he he thinks it's the Anamera muscaria. I can't really say it right, but that's what he references it as being. I think that he's wrong. I think it's probably a psilocybin more because so like the the experience you get from that mushroom isn't really uh, the same as one from psilocybin. I think psilocybin leads to sort of intuitively understanding these things, like the teachings of Christ, versus you know, the other mushroom. And, and he just didn't know, I don't think about it when he wrote the book in the fifties. I don't think it was like uh, knowledgeable to it. It wasn't, he didn't have access to that data. Um, and I think that that's probably why he misreferences, misreferences it. But yeah, the book was bought by the Catholic church and they like kind of tried to bury it. It's, it's pretty hard to find. You got to do a little search around, but there's definitely PDFs online you can get. Um, and like, I think there's a few audio books on YouTube, people reading it. Um, yeah, that's interesting. It's a really interesting book. I actually kind of came to the conclusion about psychedelics being the, what's referenced before I read the book. And then I discovered the book and I was like, Oh yeah, that just really makes a lot more sense. Now that you understand like the way the language was actually written, um, different, different things like that. It's just so crazy. I've been having this uh, lately, uh, this just big intrigue about mushrooms and mycelium and, and their connection with the forest and earth and even like, you know, like how they developed and, you know, and sort of maybe with our brains. I don't know. But it's just really interesting to hear all of these points too. It's really good. Great points. I appreciate that. Definitely got to check out this book. There's a theory of like you could seed all of life on a planet with a spore, right? And they can exist in outer space. Um, and if you think about all life being descended from one single spore, then we all share a common ancestor. So we all share like a stream of consciousness. We all share like a genetic link, every single living creature. Um, and that's, that's also fascinating. Like the, 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 I would argue that the mushroom itself is sentient. Like there's a, it's a, there's a, there's a sentience behind it. Um, I've done lodgements mushrooms gone in the woods and I could swear that the woods are talking to me, you know, but like I said, trip, you're tripping out. It's, it gets weird because it's not, you can't base it on anything, but what's going on inside your head. Right. And then there's like the, the people that are trying to break that right down and be like, Oh, there is no God because you know, this is just a molecule and blah, 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 blah. But like, to me, that's just more evidence of God. Like I look at the story of evolution and I think that it, ties in with the story of Genesis perfectly. I think that the story of Genesis tells the same story. It just tells it through archetypes because that's how stories were told. You know, that's how you preserved ideas.
is there any takes on the tree of knowledge in this book or about or what about you think the tree of knowledge of good and evil is the stoned ape hypothesis um that terence mckenna has it's the exact same theory um if you think about us living in a state of not knowing our nakedness right and kind of existing in harmony with nature and then we the the the, the woman is shown by the snake the the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil right and she partakes of it first and gives it to the man so in a sort of gathering society the men were probably more inclined to hunting the women were, were more inclined to gathering um especially if you go back and kind of different forms of hominids it's likely that that's what was happening they would the, the female would probably be the first to discover something like that eat of it discover that their their consciousness is transported to a different place and then share it with the man and then in the day they eat of it they surely die so they they become aware of their mortality they become aware of their nakedness um they become aware of their sort of yeah, just more self-aware than the animals around them, right? And it's proven that psilocybin creates neural growth. It creates new connections. It does all these things. Um, so it's plausible that that's what's being referenced. And then, you know, first they try to clothe themselves in the leaves of the trees and it doesn't work out so well. Um, they end up, actually, it says the Lord God kills the animals and provides them with animal skins. Um, and then that kind of goes into where we go from there, um, from maybe being more scavenging to more hunting. Um, if you look at humans, we can throw up, uh, we can throw an object at a distance and kill something. Nothing else can do that. Um, there's all these sort of evidence in our biology that that's sort of been the lineage of us. And then we get to a certain point, right? If you look at Adam and Eve had sons, Cain and Abel, and <clears throat> it says that the, Abel was a tiller, of, or Abel was a was a herder of sheep. Like he had a herder of flocks. He was a keeper of like herd animals, um, and he he gave a blood sacrifice to God, and God was pleased with that, and he blessed Abel and favored him. And it says that Cain was a builder of cities, and he tilled the land. And this is the story of colonization and wild people, and colonize colonizers always invading the wild people and subject, subjugating them because they were jealous of their resources. This is the story of every colonization. Um, and, um, yeah, it says that the, the, the descendants of Cain begat sin. Um, and, and this is all this sort of, I, I think it, connect, it goes to our disconnection from the land. And, yeah, Bitcoin brings us back to the land, right? Because it, it brings us back to the energy. It creates permaculture circles. And cycles and yeah it brings us back into harmony with nature i think bitcoin is divine inspired definitely you make a good case for it moses oh this is this is great stuff what's interesting too is like i'm uh my father he's a devout and uh I've been trying to orange pill him for a while and he just doesn't care. But I feel like, you know, connecting it with the Bible would be huge. So, yeah, I mean, even if, I mean, even if you don't buy the, you know, Bitcoin as hidden mana, uh, like theological argument, I mean, it's hard to argue with the fact that Bitcoin is like from a ethical point of view, Bitcoin is, is sound. 
you know, uh, you know, from a, from a, from a biblical perspective. And there, you know, there's nothing else like that. Like the U.S. dollar is based on lies, right? So, like, if you're a Christian and you believe that, like, one of the most important principles in the world is telling the truth, and you're using a, a medium of exchange that's built on lies, I mean, it's like antithetical to your belief system. And I think a lot of Christians haven't really thought about the dollar in the in those terms, but uh, they should because, like, it's true. Yeah, it says the root of, uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. And, like, I never, like, really understood that phrase before Bitcoin. I was, I was like, oh, that's stupid. Like, rich people aren't evil. Like, you should actually, in, you should create wealth for yourself. Like, and it was just kind of seemed like an empty phrase to me. But when you understand it from a fiat perspective, it's like, yeah, the love of money is the root of all evil. Like, there's no real value in society. It's just, it's, 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 it's bad, corrupt. It ruins things. Yeah, and I mean, it also like on that, I mean, it's the it's the love of money, right? Like, there's a difference between like wanting to be successful and loving money. You know, like I love Bitcoin in the sense that like I love like what it's capable of doing for the world, but I don't like love my sats. You know what I mean? I'm happy to have my sats. They're they're useful, and you know I want to acquire as many of them as possible, but I don't love my sats. You know, but like. I do think that there is, uh, you know, there really is to the idea that the love of money is the root of all evil. Although, to be fair, I don't think it's the root of all evil, because I do think that there's, like, other evils that are not, like, financially uh, driven. Well, the Bible does say to uh, avoid debt, and the U.S. dollar is built on that, so that's one thing to consider. It's actually the root of all kinds of evil. That's a hard one for me to wrap my head around, though, because, like, you know, I think that there definitely are types of evil that are not related to to money, though. Yeah, that's why it says all kinds, meaning, like, the many, yes. So it was the sacred mushroom on the cross, and what was the other book you mentioned? Uh, the revelations. I mean, if you want some verses, I think explicitly reference Bitcoin. Um, uh, well, just at the beginning of Revelations, um, that's just Revelations one. I forget what verse. And then Revelations uh, two seventeen, um, I think, is Bitcoin. And Revelations three eighteen as well. Um, and then there's Revelations 22, just like the first like seven verses, I think it is. Um, just kind of a, to me describes a utopia built on the use of the hemp plant. Um, and then there's Daniel 2, the Nebuchadnezzar's dream. I think references Bitcoin as well, like the stone cut without hands that you know smashes all the empires apart. All the dream ones, huh? All the prophecies. Yeah. There's probably more, but I got to go some that I found so far. For sure, I got to go back. I got to read them. I'm going to read them with this in my mind. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, sure, I'm sure you guys are all over the place um, politically. I'm sure you're not all anarchists or anything, but I, w- I would strongly recommend the Anarcho Christian podcast. Um, he has a lot of great, a lot of great episodes talking about like dispensationalism versus covenant theology and eschatology and all kinds of things. And he does uh, reference a lot of the different prophecies and things like that, kind of from a um, non-nationalistic or non-imperialistic uh, kind of viewpoint. Where uh, where can that podcast be found? Like all the all the standard places. I'll sh- I'll share it here from uh, Spotify. Awesome, awesome, good stuff. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Sounds up my alley. This will also be on Spotify after as well, and all podcast platforms. Actually, I'm not sure I know how to do that, so it's, <laughs> I'm going to try to link something in the spaces. I'm pretty new to these, but it's just the Anarcho-Christian podcast, so it's, I think it's available everywhere, and one word, Anarcho-Christian. I'll definitely check that out. And I get a lot of confusion. Like, my father-in-law is a pretty, pretty mainstream, hardcore, kind of nationalist, conservative, right-winger type. And he, he has a lot of concerns with my, my worldview. Um, but what he commonly, like, what, one thing that definitely differentiates Christian anarchists from regular anarchists is that while we definitely, like, recognize the state as illegitimate, you know, authority and violence, um, we're not necessarily, like, seeking its destruction or to tear it down. Christian anarchism is more about kind of, like, old school, like, early church, like, Politics is poisonous. Like, what do we care about the politics of Rome? Like, that's got nothing to do with us, kind of thing. Oh my gosh. Okay, guys. I want to, can we go back to the the serpent conversation? Because I had to dig out this book and actually, like, I want to read you guys a page because it looks at that information from, like, a higher magical perspective. Um, and like in a metaphorical perspective of what the serpent and Eve and Adam actually represent within like within higher magic. I don't know if you're interested. Yeah, that's your theory. Okay, I don't know if you're interested, but I'll read it. Um, so the book is the book is called "Who in Fact You Really Are" by the Cosmic Awareness. And if you're like there, you know, you should definitely read it and look it up and and you know take a gander. Um, but it describes like the Garden of Eden as the Garden of the Magi, which is really just our like inner world, right? Because as the inner world, then so the outer world. And it says here that the dogma which was added by those who meant well, but who did not know the secrets and sought to blend the teachings of Jesus with those of the Hebrews of the time, led to the misunderstanding of the New Testament and the churches which followed thereafter. The symbol of the serpent is that which represents will or the mana being moved by the conscious mind. This conscious mind as one that reasons and moves and thinks. And in the Garden of Eden, the serpent wanted to know and did know and sought to teach the others to know and eat of the fruit in order to be gods. 
Um, so it's talking about basically like our inner evolution of becoming the masters of our reality, right? So the serpent taught these or tempted these, particularly the subconscious, which is represented by Eve, to partake of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and therefore to become as God. Um, so I think that's like a really interesting interpretation of it as it pertains to how we evolve spiritually throughout our life and the connection between our subconscious, our conscience, and our superconscious, which is like our higher self. And then it also states here that in the Garden of Eden, the tree of knowledge was that of the senses, the five fruit of the senses, taste, touch, smell, sound, and sight. So when we're talking about the fall um, from grace or the fall, the, the exodus out of the garden, it's really talking about like becoming human and, and taking on a physical form and being able to experience this type of three-dimensional reality so that we can relearn how to become these gods or these really masters of, of the energy around us. See, I'm solidifying that mushroom theory to me. Sorry, Ephesians. Oh, no, no, no worries. I was just going to say, like, I, I have a pretty different take on it. Like, you know, I, I, I come to, like, kind of the opposite conclusion. Like, I think, like, the snake represents, I mean, I guess we're kind of on the same page in a sense, because, like, I think the snake represents, like, this attempt to kind of, like, be gods. But I think the whole point of the story is that that's actually a bad idea and that we're not gods and that we should have the humility to recognize our limitations and, like, kind of have trust in, like, the higher power. Um, so that's kind of my read on it in a nutshell. I think humans only have limitations as far as we believe in those limitations. Like I think the experience of being human is actually, um, extremely freeing because of some of the restrictions that we see around us, but those restrictions are not set in stone and we can absolutely change them. Like there are people who leave their body, right? Either through DMT or through, um, rigorous practice, right? Astral projection. There are people out there who shift realities. Um, like there's so much out there that you can read from people's experiences throughout history, right? Where the limits that in our modern world we think are true, even as far as physics is concerned, is being proven all the time not to be so. Uh, I, I think maybe we're just talking apples and oranges here. Like, I'm not saying that humans don't have the capacity to do some some very interesting things, especially through the use of uh, like psychedelics and stuff like that. Um, I, but more broadly, the idea of like playing God, I think, is uh, and thinking of and, and thinking of us as gods is kind of like the the bigger picture, right? Is like I think that there is this general kind of new agey uh you know theory that like you know we are all gods or like we can all be gods or something like that and i think that this is actually very dangerous like yes we have the ability to do some cool things uh and i'm not even saying you shouldn't do them right like i mean i feel like god put these things here for a reason like we're probably supposed to use them on some level um but not to conflate that with like us being gods like we're not like, we really, really are not. Well, what's, I mean, which definition of God, then, are you using? And and from which perspective, are you talking through, a, like, from a third-dimensional human perspective? Or are you talking from a perspective of our higher consciousness? Or are you 
talking like from the perspective of how Source would see all of his creation. I mean, I, I, I'd like to think I'm, I'm talking about it like on the highest level. Like I think at the absolutely highest level, like you know, on which we can't even articulate because our brains can't process that type of thing. Um, you know, I think that there is a God. Um, and I think that generally speaking, like the, the belief in a God is morally superior to the belief in multiple gods or like the belief that like we can all be gods. Um, and I think that that belief uh, should be rejected. And that's not to say that we shouldn't embrace the gifts that we are endowed with and, uh, you know, the, the gifts that the world endows us with, like, you know, psychedelics, for example. Um, you know, I'm not saying that we shouldn't embrace those things. I just think that it's a, it's a dangerous path when, when people start thinking of themselves as gods because that's how you end up in all of these, like, you know, kind of horrible situations that the world has found itself in over and over and over again is that, you know, some people kind of think that they're gods and they play God and things get, out, things get all out of whack because, you know, you're not God. You're never going to be God and you're just going to fuck things up if you try to assume that responsibility. That's a fine perspective to have. What, what do you think of that? Um, I mean, I would, I would disagree, but I don't know if, I don't know if I have the words to explain why, because like, I think, I think it's something that every person comes to. And I think, I think experiencing your reality through any of those lenses is perfectly fine for that person who wants to experience that kind of reality in that moment. I know that sounds really evasive, but like I've, I've been coming to this, this um, place in, in my journey where I think, I think the experiences, the bad experiences and the good experiences and the playing God in a way that, yeah, you know, you're creating a fiat system that basically economically enslaves the entire world. Or, you know, you're a Bitcoiner who's fighting that dragon and trying to save humanity. Like, I think all of those perspectives have, have, have beauty in them and, and have some spark of love in them because... Like I don't, I don't see this reality as very permanent anymore. I don't know if that makes sense to anybody. Well, it's not so much that it doesn't make sense. I just think like the problem with you know this kind of type of thinking is that it leads to moral subjectivism, right? And I think that moral subjectivism is extremely dangerous. Like if if one's philosophy leads them to a, a morally subjective place, I would argue that it's not a good philosophy, you know? And unless I'm missing something, I think that the logical implication of this philosophy that you're kind of outlining, Lady A, uh, the, the logical conclusion of it is largely, if not entirely, morally subjective. And that's a problem to me. Humble yourself and he will exalt you. I mean, it absolutely could be. And I think for a lot of people, it is like, I think a lot of people have very subjective morality um, and, 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 and create a lot of suffering for themselves, but that doesn't 
mean that the suffering doesn't have a higher purpose or um, uh, a better outcome if you are looking at it from a certain perspective. Like, I don't advocate for moral subjectivity, and that's not something that I practice in my life, but I can see and understand how and why that has a place in our very, very, like, limited, tiny little corner of the universe, specifically on this planet. Because, like, to me, what, to me, how I see and feel and experience source um, is from, and I don't know if you guys ever read Walsh, but I think like, I think his books with conversations with God were like very illuminating to being able to put this perspective into words. Um, but basically that if you were, if you were always in, I don't know what Christians would equate to heaven, right? If you were always in this perfect place where everybody was morally, you know, at the at the highest rung of morality, where nothing bad ever happened. And I also came to this through, like, wanting to write a fantasy book. And I realized that without, um, I wanted it to be very anarchistic and really show, like, kids how anarchy would work in the real world. And then, like, through writing it, I realized that if the if the book doesn't have any action, if there's no protagonist, if there's no evil to overcome or problem to solve, then the book is extremely boring. And if you exist for millions and millions of years as a conscious being and everything is is love and wonderful and and, and morally superior, well then like what the heck is the point? Like where's the action? Where's the drama? Where's the heartbreak? Where's the Whereas the beauty through suffering and, 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 you know, fighting against all odds, like where is that human existence in its totality if there's none of the stuff that we would consider immoral? But don't, don't you still, like, coming back to, like, the moral subjectivity thing, it's just that, like, don't you think it's an issue to have a, a a spiritual philosophy that is morally subjective? Like, regardless of like what what morals you've come to for whatever reason, um, isn't it an issue that the, the the actual like spiritual philosophy is morally subjective? Is it an issue? Well, yeah, I, mean, I think it is an issue, like, because, I mean, if it's morally subjective, then it could just, you know, allow you to do evil, and you could use it to justify it, um, you know, so, I, yeah, I do think it's a problem to have a morally subjective, uh, you know, like, and this is what we've talked about you know, in several of these spaces, it's just that, like, you know, morality is objective, and I think that's a really hard thing for a lot of, especially secular people, to wrap their head around, right? You know, the idea that, like, there is actually, like, objective morality. Um, but there fucking is. And, you know, I, I saw you do a 100 emoji, Lady A. Like, assuming you agree with me that there is such a thing as objective reality, uh, objective morality. I agree. You, know, you, gotta, you, you gotta ask yourself, then, if there's objective morality, where do the rules come from? And, like, I, I, find, a hard, I find it really hard to make that argument with anything other than the Bible. 
because you know there's a lot there and, and it's not like for lack of knowledge of these other sets of, of rules and ideas right like i'd like to think i know I, i'd like to think i know a thing or two about a lot of spiritual philosophies um and i think that the logical implication of all of them is inferior to the logical implications of christianity which is that you should always tell the truth no matter what even if it's dangerous and you should have the capacity to forgive people and love you know like i think like those are like the most fundamentally important uh things that that, that humans could believe in well even even in objective natural law morality truth is not truth is morally neutral like it truth depends on the situation of, of why you're using your or for what purpose um really natural law and objective morality only outlines theft as aggression against another human being but yeah and like that's 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 what i mean like yes objective morality but we're talking about it from a very three-dimensional very human very grounded very in your body kind of experience of what we see around the world and and how we react to those things from um from our ego which is there to protect us to you know to to save us to be able to for us to be able to safely survive within this like pretty freaking hostile environment right everything from nature to governments um but if we're talking about this from a higher perspective then all of that really becomes becomes i guess less um i don't know i'm i'm blanking on a way of of like describing it i'm not rejecting the idea of objective morality but i'm saying that from a different perspective it is the immorality is part of our experience here on earth which is extremely finite and what happens after we leave this planet and how many other lifetimes there are and like i'm not saying that you shouldn't reach like you shouldn't try to reach for that higher moral ground you shouldn't like that you shouldn't excel to be the best, you know, in quotes kind of human being that you can be who doesn't steal, who doesn't hurt anybody, you know, who is the principled um natural law anarchist that lets people live and tries to better the world around them through connection, through communication, through building and creating. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. I'm saying that we should all definitely absolutely 100% strive for it. But at the same time, like I do see beauty and necessity for all of the things that we see as immoral because they're the ones who kind of that's what pushes us what was it the space with Svetsky yesterday he said like that humans are are forged through pressure right so that kind of pressure from all of these immoral things that go on around us is what pushes us to try to become better to become more moral and align ourselves with more objective morality and if we do that then a lot of things in the universe open up for us because now we're in alignment with that universal love with that source energy and if we are in love right then more great and amazing things come to us even in the wake of the terrible you know stuff going on yeah but i mean is the the issue with that is like like you refer to it as like source energy right and it's like like let's say i accept that that there is this source energy that is like the you know the master of the universe for lack of a better term right uh where do i get my 
rules of how to be moral because i feel like you're kind of conflating two things that like you know it's kind of like the you know if god were real like why do bad things happen thing it's like you know i i, I agree that like immoral things will always happen and like people will always do immoral things and just because somebody does something that's immoral doesn't mean that doesn't mean that like on a high level that they're like bad people or you know god doesn't love them or anything like that right like pretty much everybody in the bible did like really fucked up stuff um you know so 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 that's certainly not the argument uh but you know the thing about the bible that's cool is that there's actually like rules and you can follow the rules and the idea is basically there is a master of the universe he gave us some rules if we follow the rules things will generally be better and that's that that's actually like a pretty like it's it's like very simple and that's why it works like it's so simple that it works it's just like these are the rules follow them if you do that things will be all right and you know it's easy for you know like intellectuals to try to like reason their way into like why they have this philosophy or that philosophy but for like a society you know with tons of different people who have you know different levels of like critical thinking skills and reasoning skills or just interest in doing that, you know, um, it's, it's convenient to have like a universal, um, a universal belief system. And I, I I think that of all of the different universal, like different societies have, uh, you know, Christianity really is like objectively the best one. Um, and I think that like from a, like a pure, like logic and reasoning perspective, uh, like using like our, our faculties that, you know, God or, you know, the source or whatever you want to call it, uh, gave us. I mean, like, I think we can, uh, reason our way into understanding that like Christianity is like objectively the, the correct belief system because, you know, all of these other ones, and you know, this is where I'm going to put back on you. I want you to correct me if, if, I'm, if I'm wrong here, but like, you know, the issue with this, like, for example, like this, this source, uh, idea is that, you know, there's no like rules. So you could just kind of interpret that however you want, and you could just kind of use that as a justification to do whatever you want. Now, I happen to know you. I, I, I think that you're a decent person. I don't think you're going to go use your philosophy to do monstrous things, but there certainly are people who would, right? And that seems like a big problem with the philosophy. Okay, so to clarify, these these rules that you're talking about, are they from the Old Testament or the New Testament? This is why in the beginning of the conversation, like I, I want you to define who and what your God is. Because if we're talking about the Old Testament, this is the jealous, angry God that we all read about when we were little, at least, you know, in the Western Christian type world, right? Um, where, you know, he tried to get a dad to sacrifice his son on the altar and, you know, sent a great flood and destroyed cities, you know, and let his angels come down and become Nephilim, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So like, are we talking about that God? Are we talking about God in the new Testament? Are we talking about the specifically the 10, you know, um, the 10 rules like that, that Christ outlined the, the beauties Right? Or are we talking about the rules on the tablet that Moses, you know, wrote down about no adultery and thou shalt not kill and whatever? Like, which, and, and some of those rules contradict themselves. So I just want to be clear on which rules I should be refuting. Uh, well, okay. first of all, to be clear, I reject your categorization of the Old Testament God uh, as I think you said, like jealous. Jealous and, and cruel? Yes. Jealous and cruel. 
Um, yeah, I reject that categorization. Um, I, you know, m- my interpretation is that like God was deeply saddened for like all of the, you know, many decades of mistakes that his creation had been making and, you know, setting, you know, one thing that, you know, you were talking about a little bit earlier and didn't really get into the weeds too, but, uh, you know, cause you were talking about like the you know, different dimensions and like kind of understanding things on levels that like humans can't really understand. Like justice doesn't just happen within the span of a lifetime. You know, like a lot of people who are secular, especially like look at the world and they're like, Oh wow, there's no justice. Like, you know, the evil people always get away with it. It's like on a lifetime level that may at least seem true. Although even on a lifetime level, I think it's oftentimes true that justice is real, but, uh, you know, on a, on a meta level, like some things happen on a, on a scale that is a lot bigger than us. Um, so, you know, when you, you know, read these like kind of awful things that people, uh, were put through, uh, at God's command in the old Testament, like, I think it's kind of easy from like the, you know, and I'm not accusing you of this cause I know you're not exactly secular, you know what I mean? But, but I think it's easy for like a lot of secular people, uh, to just look at, look at the old Testament and be like, Oh, like the God of the old Testament is like just super cruel and unjust and horrible. Um, but I think that like that doesn't take into consideration like you know the the, the context of what was going on. Um, so yeah, I re- I reject your categorization of that. Now, as far as which rules am I talking about? I'm talking about all of them, like literally every single one, like every single rule in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament is valid. I do not believe for a second this uh, kind of modern mainstream Christian take that like everything in the old Testament is irrelevant now because like Jesus said so or some shit like that did not happen. That never happened. The only reason that people think this is because of like hundreds of years of Catholic indoctrination into mainstream Christianity before like the Protestant, the Protestants split off in the first place. Um, you know, like it's, it, it's all Catholic bullshit. Uh, you know, the, the Bible is real. The Bible is true. The rules in it are true, including the ones in the Old Testament. In fact, the vast majority of the rules are in the Old Testament. Um, so, yeah, all of them is the answer to your question. I think one of the, like, one of the clear kind of uh, negative points to, I don't know, I guess, a lack of um, defining what your spiritual belief is, is that, say, for instance, you have children, you know, where exactly do you point them? You basically say, all right, you make the decisions yourself. And it gives very little um, actual frame framework for existence. And so one of the benefits of actually making a choice is just that, that you actually make a choice and you give people very clear clarity. I mean, you know, if you think about that, if you think about the actual world is there's so many people who are fucked up and, and doing things that are ruining society that um, it's because of the d- destruction of uh, first principles. And if you can basically bring people up to first principles through just uh, giving them knowledge, you're you're actually creating a huge advantage for people. Now it's like we've eroded our first principles. So because of the destruction of religion and, and religious beliefs, so basically people are starting below zero because they don't have this uh, inherited knowledge. And so, you know, I mean... You can you can kind of talk about the fact that there's a billion religions to choose from, but still, uh, from a spiritual perspective and from a like a handing down first principles perspective, I think you actually um, detract from people 
rather than just saying, all right, this is the best thing that I know. And therefore I'm going to give them the best thing that I know. And so it, it requires really to make a decision. And that's my big problem with the, like, you know, every religion is the same argument is like, in the end of the day, you have to codify your own rules and beliefs and you have to give them to people. And so if you don't go through the exercise of doing that, then you're going to leave a lot of people confused. So yeah, I mean, back to online. What was that, Moses? Sorry, I'm arguing with communists online. No worries, no worries. It gets to the best of us. But yeah, Lady A, like, I mean, because I, I don't want to, like, my intention is certainly not to misrepresent you or your f spiritual philosophy, right? Like, my intention is to, like, hash out, uh, you know, like, to actually, like, try to hash out the truth about this stuff. So if if I'm wrong in what I'm saying and I'm misrepresenting you, I'd like you to defend yourself. But my question is basically like, if you believe in objective morality, which you say you do, and I think you do, where do you get your rules from? And you know, if if it's something that's subjective, where like you personally came to these, at least hopefully good moral rules, wouldn't it be possible for other people to go down that path and pick different ones? I'm not sure because I've always been like this. <laughs> so that's actually a really difficult question for me of like, where did I get those? Like why, why were those principles always like within me? Um, the first time I actually like realized that there was a way to describe those principles and like codify them kind of like what Michael said um, was after watching like Mark Passio's natural law seminar um but mark is an information aggregate or aggregator excuse me so what he does is he collects esoteric and occult knowledge from all different sources nowhere near the bible um that are much older than the bible in some cases and 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 because those principles are repeated all of the time through um, a lot of literature, a lot of hidden literature and occult literature. And like, that's what I'm interested in. So the Bible doesn't like, to me, the Bible doesn't even cover a, like an eighth of, of what is out there, um, pertaining to this topic, right? Like not, it doesn't, it doesn't talk about the hermetic principles. It doesn't talk about, um, it, it just, to me, the Bible, the old Testament and into new Testament just, doesn't compare to all of the other information that is out there that also leads you to the same path of, you know, objective morality and how to live your life better. Um, and, you know, to the point that we have to decide what to teach our children, I think it's really a process of discovery. And I think we can guide them towards um, as many sources as we can. But at the end of the day, like, are our children having to relearn and break down incorrect belief systems before they can actually get to the truth? Or are we, you know, giving them the opportunity to discover 
all of the different paths when they're younger and then be able to come to those conclusions on their own. Even if they're able to do that, though, they're at a disadvantage to people that are actually going out and just doing it. And the reason why I say that is like, seriously, you could like say, for instance, with nutrition, you can give your child all of the options in terms of like, you can say, hey, you should be eating vegan, or you could be on the carnivore diet, or you could do all these things. But if you, if you through your own wisdom, give them the answers, uh, they're going to be able to move a lot faster than somebody else that's going to have to make the decision themselves. In the end of the day, everyone is, they receive all the information that they get. And then after that, then they make their decision to validate whether or not if it's true or not. So they're going to go through that process no matter what. My, my point is that I think that you'll give them a greater advantage by just giving them the truth or whatever it is that you think is the truth. And that's, you know, I mean, for you, it'll be a different truth, truth than me. And so for me, the truth of morality and like knowing, knowing all of those things is just, just much more simple. And if I'm wrong, like when I die, nothing is going to happen to me. So I'll be cool no, no matter what. But the, the, I guess the greater point that I was trying to emphasize from the beginning is just, I think that um, just having the choice, the choice is already there. Like if you're, if you, if you're at a crossroads and there's two, two ways, you can spend the time theoretically deciding which one is the right way. And one person, he might go down that path and it might end up in the same place. But the person who's, who's taking more time to decide will get to that end point a little bit slower. I, I, I can see your point. Like, I think that could absolutely happen in some cases, but you know, just to like, just to take one, you know, tiny example out of that and, and kind of look at it. Um, say, you know, you're a child and your mom is vegan and the dad is out of the picture for some reason, which is, as we know, extremely common in our society right now. Um, and this kid grows up vegan, but you know, it's half mom's DNA and half dad's DNA. And the dad's DNA is just not, not conducive to that type of lifestyle, to that type of diet. Like, you know, maybe dad comes from the North where his family lineage has been living off of meat forever, right? Like I'm from Russia. <clears throat> we have to, we have to be carnivores. There's no other choice here. I mean, like right now, even walking into a store, you have the choice of apples and pears and oranges. And that's basically your choices for the rest of the winter. And so now you have this child, this mom, you know, all well willing, you know, trying to give her child a choice is taking him down this path of, of developing, you know, autoimmune diseases, being malnourished, et cetera, et cetera, because veganism works for her, but it doesn't work for the child. And like you said, like we're all different people. So the truths for each of us is going to be a little bit different, not the objective morality ones, but like the subjective ones that work for us. So I think in that case, like, isn't it better for all of us to learn how to experiment, um, to see what works for us, to see where, um, we are intuitively led to figure out um, which beliefs and which systems and which lifestyles and which diets we should discard because it turns out that this one that is completely different from what our parents believe or what works for our parents or our friends or whoever else just doesn't work for us and something works for us better. Like that to me seems like a, a more holistic approach to learning than just continuing to pass down this information that like none of us even know if, if our beliefs are true, 
right? Like we're, we, like we all doubt and we all get some kind of conditioning from the society, the culture and the family that we're born into. So half of our life is mostly spent on learning all of those things that we learned in our childhood and then being like, oh yeah, that doesn't work for me. This thing works for me. And I had to figure it out on my own and had to look at all of these sources and had to try it and then come to that conclusion. I just feel like, I feel like that's a little bit of a straw man though. Cause like I, I would agree. And I think probably everybody in here would agree that there's a lot of, uh, you know, mainstream like Christian dogma, for example, that gets just like, kind of passed down, uh, you know, without, without even like thinking about it and that it's, it's not positive and it would be better if, you know, these kids were being raised with a more, uh, inquisitive perspective. Right. Like, I think that everybody here would probably agree with that. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, uh, yeah. And I would also say that like, you know, the, the goal of like, raising your kids to be Christian is not to like indoctrinate them. Like the goal is to raise, you know, critical thinking, inquisitive, uh, moral children and to make the best logical case that you can to them about why being a Christian is, is the correct philosophy. The goal is not to like indoctrinate them and just like not tell them about other philosophies or like to, you know, not, have them realize there's another way to live their life because like, you know, that that's like just a recipe for disaster in, in a lot of different ways. And it's, it's also you know, dishonest. Um, so, you know, that I, I, I just feel like that's a little bit of a straw man. Like I think that kids should absolutely, uh, you know, be raised to be inquisitive and to have, you know, an understanding of other uh, belief systems. I just think that, uh, you know, they're again, back to the objective morality question. Um, and I, and I, and you know, not to ride this, but I still don't think I've got an answer out of you. You know, like I don't see how you could come to uh, an objective set of moral guidelines uh, without something like, for example, the Bible. It wouldn't necessarily have to be the Bible, right? Like I could under, I could wrap my head around the argument that you know there's a rule, you know, a bunch of rules in the Quran or whatever that you should follow, right? Like I could wrap my head around that. I would disagree with it, but I, I could wrap my head around that. Um, but you know, I, I I still don't understand where this kind of uh, you know, for lack of a better term, new agey uh, belief system would get a set of objective rules? Um, I think that saying that Christianity is objectively the most moral and best religion in the world is kind of like, it defeats, defeats your argument of saying that, you know, your children should be inquisitive. If, if you're starting out with this idea of like, you know, raising your kids that, hey, Christianity is the best and most moral and most objectively true religion out there. Um, and you can kind of look at the other ones, but really this is the one that you should follow that kills a lot of the inquisitiveness that children, you know, should be able to it's use. the best one. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't agree with that at all. I mean, like, you know, certainly the myself as a kid and probably you too. Cause you know, I, I was a pretty rebellious kid and I suspect you probably were as well. Like if I was raised with like my parents basically saying, you know, this is the logical case for why we believe in Christianity. You know, you're welcome to try to disprove it. I would probably spend fucking every hour of my childhood trying to disprove it. And if I, if my parents were wrong and Christianity was not objectively the, you know, the moral, uh, the, the moral religion, I would have probably figured it out, right? Because I would have 
you know, I would have tried to disprove their argument. And if, and if I made a point that they couldn't refute, you know, I would have, I would have hopped on that because that's the type of person that I am. Right? And I'm sure lots of people are that type of person. Um, so I don't think that, you know, I, I don't think at all that raising your kids and telling them, look, I'm an adult, you're not. I've lived through many more years than you have, and I've come to these conclusions, and I'll tell you why I've come to these conclusions. I don't see why that is, you know, in any shape or way, like, you know, coercive or is manipulative or gaslighting or I anything like I that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> no, you're, no, you're, no, no, no. I, I, I recognize that, to be clear. Um, but but I don't think that uh, I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. I don't think that there's anything that uh, crushes uh, crushes inquisitiveness. In, in fact, if anything, I think it would, in many cases, stimulate it. I mean, it de- it depends, right? My dad kind of took a very like liberal approach to it. He was like, "Here's the Bible, you know. Here's the kids' version of the Bible." He literally filled our house with books and was like, "You know, figure it out, whatever." And so, like, I, I read through them like multiple times, right? And I found the holes and I was like, this doesn't make sense to me. This doesn't make sense to me. This, this seems like not loving at all. This seems really angry and warlike. Like this, this just doesn't feel correct to me, right? Through like the, the, I guess the moral eyes of, of a inquisitive child. Right. Um, but like for most other people where, when Christianity is kind of like, shoved down their throat or or told that this is you know the right religion um because i'm an adult and you're not so i know better then we get you know experiences like mark passio's experience where he was so disgusted with the church and with his family you know constantly telling him that christianity was that he went all the way into the satanic church moved up through the rungs became a priest and then realized like what the satanic church was actually about, which is, you know, the, the pedophilia and all of the other shit that goes along with what the elites are doing. Um, and then had to do an entire 180 and figure out like where the moral boundaries actually were and did that through, you know, through studying a lot of like very old, very occult knowledge. So like, I've just found a lot more, truth or a lot more expansive information about the reality that we live in through books that are not the Bible. So my only conclusion as an adult is that the Bible is missing crucial and critical information for us to understand where we're living and how we should be living. It could also be a matter of interpretation, though, that you think that because if you think about the cultures or I mean, completely, we're completely disconnected from actual ways of living. I mean, how many people here are farmers? There's probably not one farmer in this room. And these agrarian societies, they had different ways of understanding the way that the universe worked. And so I think that that's really just a matter of interpretation, uh, personally. Yeah, and I think that, yeah, and I think that, again, like, there is a lot, and you know, this is something that I actually harp on a lot on a regular basis, that, like, you know, one of the biggest enemies of Christianity is just, like, mainstream Christian evangelicals who are just, like, not particularly logical people who haven't really thought about their beliefs on any sort of high level um, and are much more interested in just being... Uh, or at least feeling morally righteous 
over other people, uh, morally superior to other people, uh, and, and, you know, kind of beaten down on people. And, you know, this is a very real phenomenon. Uh, you know, I talk to people all the time who are raised Christian and fell away from it because they felt that, uh, their parents or their community was, uh, closed minded and, you know, not open to, to critical thinking. And it's a very real phenomenon and it's a real problem. But I think conflating the rules that were issued to us by, I would argue, the creator and master of the universe uh, with the social and political dogmas of, you know, a, a you know, state-like church apparatus, uh, you know, I, I, I think that those are just like two very different things. Yeah, they definitely are, and I, and I, I am going to agree with Ephesians like 100% that a lot of the mainstream dogma that are by quote-unquote Christians is most of it, you know, I mean, you'll have to kind of read between the lines. But also another point, you know, if you, if you look into the Old Testament, I mean, we have a very soft way of um, understanding righteousness or morality because of the fact that we're really insulated from true danger in society. And so... You know, it's like, for instance, you know, if you, you go back to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, different things like that, where you're like, whoa, whoa, that's like obviously a harsh judgment. But it's like if we progressed into a society where there was real dangers, at some times, like, mercy, like, is not the right answer. Or sometimes neutrality is not the right answer when you're going, when you're facing true danger. Sometimes your enemy actually needs to be destroyed. And I think it's really hard for us to understand that because we really live in a soft, uh, fluffy society that really doesn't have a lot of danger on the regular basis. And so because of that, the, the wealth, we've really been insulated from a lot of the true danger, dangers of the world. I mean, I can go to the water faucet and turn on the hot water right now and get, get infinite water. If you're fighting somebody for water resources and you're in the tribal, you know, uh, tri- like if you're in a tribal kind of environment 2,000 years ago, you might need to destroy that person to get access to that water. And so I feel like it's just a, it's, it's hard to understand without being there in that specific culture. And I mean, if that makes any sense. Yes, that makes sense. Um, I like agree with that. And again, on like a very human, very like grounded kind of level. But like, then my question is, is like in the Sodom Gomorrah example, like, is your God merciful or is your God the destroyer of anybody who doesn't agree with his rules? And then like, there's a disconnect for me there. Is, is it a loving, merciful God? And if it is a loving, merciful God, then why would that God do something like that? And then should we as humans, if we want to be, you know, good Christians or good people, um, or righteous, do we then strive to be more merciful? Is, is being merciful more morally correct than not being merciful? Or like you said, are there situations where we shouldn't be merciful, but then, but then, then what is your God about? Then I don't, then it confuses me. I, I think you're, I think, you know, mercy is a, is a very important point and I would default to mercy 99.9% of the time. If you think about the story of Noah, it's not like God just destroyed the earth. Noah was like an, he was a fucking crazy person that was running around and basically being like, Hey guys, there's going to be a flood. You need to fucking figure it out. And so it's not like he, he wasn't actually going around and doing that. And I think that we tend to, to, to understand that 
ignorant people don't ever have a warning signal. And I really think that though that that it definitely happens a lot more than than we would actually say. And so, um, you know, to get into the into mercy, I think that the default position is mercy, but it doesn't it doesn't take away the righteous standard, which is really just like eventually everybody has to pay the penalty. If you're a farmer, what level of mercy is going to prevent you your seed from growing if it's never in the fucking ground? That's what mercy mercy is. Somebody, another farmer, coming up and say, "Hey, bro, you need to get that seed in the ground." But if that person doesn't physically put the seed in the ground, no amount of mercy is going to save them except for somebody else coming in and being like, hey, I put my seed in the ground. Here's the mercy. That, that is, the, is the mercy would be them giving them a part of their crop. That's an ideal situation. But in the end of the day, that person is going to pay with their own individual sovereignty of having to go to somebody else. Why? Because they didn't heed to the warning. And I know this is kind of like, you know, whatever type of analogy, but I think mercy is a complicated subject for sure. No, I, I love this analogy. That was, that was really on point. Thank you. That was great. Yeah. You know, I think that God is definitely merciful and, you know, also back to, you know, kind of my point about this, that like, you know, there are rules that were issued to us by the creator and master of the universe and that it would be in our interest to follow them. Uh, but you know, God is especially merciful to those who follow his rules. You know, and I think that, you know, if, if, you, if you are on the page that, like, there is, like, some spiritual shit going on, on you know, in this world that we're in, and that there is a creator uh, slash master of the universe type character, or at least there possibly could be, you know, I think, uh, you know, one should take a serious uh, look at, like, considering that, you know, those, that that person is the god of the Bible, and, you know, that those are the rules. And that we should live that way. And if you and if you look at it from that perspective, uh, you know, everything around you makes sense. <laughs> you know, everything around you makes sense from a biblical perspective. Um, so you know, I, I, I do think that you know, again, like I didn't come to Christianity from like being Christian. I was never Christian. Like I came to it like through like initially Jordan Peterson kind of making the case for like Jesus as logos and like representing. Uh, the idea of truth uh, and like the, 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 the necessity to tell the truth when it's dangerous. That was the first thing that kind of got me interested in Christianity. I was like, oh, like that's actually like super logical that, you know, the, the most important, like, you know, from kind of like an evolutionary perspective, like the most important thing to like protect our species is to tell the truth and that there is this religion that the protagonist of this religion literally died on a cross for insisting on telling the truth uh, in the face of a, of a tyrannical society. Uh, you know, and, and I think for obvious reasons in today's context, uh, you know, that seems really, really important to the human experience. And I think there's a lot of stuff like that, that like the Bible, you know, I, I would make the assertion that the Bible covers pretty much every type of, uh, every type of interaction that humans can have with each other and, you know, how one should, uh, should go about, uh, you know, governing themselves in, in these situations. I, I would disagree on that last part, but um, um, I, I, I don't disagree with you on, on, you know, like following the rules does, does create a better, a better life for the individual. I just, I just look at it like, 
I just see the 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 separation between human and the Christian God to me looks like you know a fan, like the old fashioned fan that girls you know used to use. And it's like human is the one side of the fan and God is the other side of the fan and it's closed and it's completely missing the part of the fan that when you open it and it's this beautiful, you know, intricate design on the inside that can be, um, you know, a picture, a painting, um, et cetera, a lace, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And, And that's from that for me is like where Christianity kind of fails because there's, all of this other, all of these other dimensions, all of this other information between a human individual and God, the creator, um, even like in Jesus' story, right? Like if you, if you think about the whole Mother Mary thing, being a virgin, and then you get into the rabbit hole of, um, you know, different dimensional beings and aliens and um, how that there's, obviously like historically some kind of impact of of civilizations beyond what we understand our human history to be that have had an influence on our development to then you know to theories that maybe Jesus was half alien or looking just at the ascended masters and how many lifetimes they had to go through in the human experience to be the ascended masters in whatever life that we know them as right? Whether it's Moses or Buddha or et cetera. And just it, to me, like learning about all those things, Christianity and the Bible just doesn't cover them. Um, it doesn't cover well, manifestation to the degree that it should. Um, it's just saying following the rules and, you know, be a good person. But we see a lot of bad shit happen to good people. And it's because there are more universal laws and, and, and more information out there that can help us to create better lives for ourselves that just isn't covered in there. I mean, I just think it's a, like, I don't completely disagree with some of what you just said, but like, I just, I, I would say that I would argue that everything in the Bible is true. That doesn't mean that everything which is true is in the Bible. You know what I mean? So like, just because there are experiences, uh, that, uh, or, or, or things in this universe that aren't explicitly outlined in the Bible, uh, doesn't mean that they're not true. But they can't, my, my argument would just simply that they can't go against the Bible. Like, if they go against the Bible, your, your understanding of them is probably wrong. But just because something's not in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean that it's not true. And it doesn't necessarily, like, it doesn't logically follow, like, from, like, the Christian perspective. So, like, that, that, that's just my take. Fair enough. In regards to manifestation, it says that, uh, oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, in in <clears throat> regards to manifestation, it says that if you have faith as, a, like, less than a seed of, Mustard, like you, you can move mountains. So, I think that's pretty explicit um, representation of manifestation, in in my opinion. But yeah, I think a lot of this stuff probably is in the Bible, and I'm definitely not as much of a like uh, a scholar of the Bible as Moses is, so he can probably uh, you know, substantiate this a lot better than I can. But I, I suspect a lot of this stuff probably is in the Bible in some capacity or another. Uh, but my just general take is that. Just because something's not in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean it's not true. Like it just like it, the the if the conclusion flies in the face of the Bible, I suspect it's probably wrong. I also think though that like um, a lot of times, 
um, as far as rules are concerned, people think that like following um, rules is actually what leads to kind of enlightenment when really it's like the only, it's kind of like the reverse, the actual reverse. Like you have to kind of become enlightened and like be, have the knowledge of the truth. And then you actually start to follow the rules or like, or go down that rabbit hole. And people try to do that with it where it's like people don't have the actual understanding, like the spiritual understanding or, or the reason why you actually want to follow, you know, what, whatever said rule is. Um, it's the exact opposite. They try to say, well, you need to do this and that and then you'll become enlightened or whatever it is. And as, as good as following rules is, um, you know, anybody can follow a rule. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you don't have to have any kind of special knowledge. I think that there's definitely benefit to our society. I mean, people not wanting to lie or steal has created a heavy amount of uh, benefit. And that's why it's like we're going through this period where uh, morality has kind of like fallen on, uh, like the foundation of morality, you know, the Christian ethic has been basically destroyed. And so you're kind of seeing a societal deterioration. But anyway, I digress. The point being is that I think, following the rules is like it, it becomes a stumbling block for people when that is the goal the real goal is like understanding god and why understanding god and having like a you know an intimate knowledge of god or an enlightening experience with god is important and then after you understand all of that then the like bit by bit you won't have to have a reason for like or, or you won't have to have like a this fighting moment with the rules it's like you kind of understand them from a different perspective and can kind of shine a different light it'll still be the same thing and you'll still have the same conflicting arguments but you know i i still think that it's an it's an important thing to do is kind of go for uh the enlightenment first and then try the understanding of the rules rather than the other way around since nobody's talking, I guess I'll rant on more. But, um, like one, one of the things is that people get caught on, I guess, kind of like being gay or something like that. And they're like, all right, well, if Christianity was right, then why is there all of this shit about, you know, uh, being gay or whatever, blah, 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 blah. Um, the point being is that like, if you, you know, you're basically like, because it's kind of like a modern framing. And if you put this versus any other sin, whatever it is, like lying, According to the Bible, they're bas basically both of them are the same. And so in a certain sense, it's like you shouldn't be exalting whatever, whatever one sin is over another. The important thing is to exalt like the actual standard of righteousness, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that this is a great example of like shit that uh, mainstream Christians really fuck over their own cause with. It's like, yes... I, I, I agree with them that, like, like men laying with other men is a sin, right? Um, that being said, lots of shit that I'm sure all of them are doing are also sins, but they just have, like, this, like, weird uh, hang-up with one, and it's, like, it's not just one. There's a, there's a handful. Um, but there's this just ridiculous sense of righteous indignation 
from mainstream Christians, uh, and homosexuality is a good example of that. Like, you know, I, like, if I, if I were, like, the, you know, pastor or whatever of a church, uh, you know, my position on, like, you know, gay marriage issues would basically be, like, you know, I don't endorse gay marriage because it's not marriage. Uh, you know, I think homosexuality is a sin. But that being said, pretty much everybody, not pretty much, literally every single person who attends this fict- this fictional church, uh, you know, is also a sinner. And welcome. You know, like, and I think that that's the correct Christian position on homosexuality. It's like, yeah, gay marriage is not actually marriage. Like, homosexuality is a sin. But that being said, everybody sins. It's not the end of the world. But logically, like, why is this sin? And also logically, why are we all born with an original sin when we're Because you're born through the mother, and the mother, uh, the the nature of the woman is that of evil. And um, homosexuality isn't actually... It's immoral, but the sin is uh, playing God. You're playing, you're undermining God's uh, spiritual hierarchy um, because you haven't returned to the Father. And so you fill this void of not having God's love with uh, things like alcohol uh, and pot and uh, gay butt sex. And so you need to forgive your parents. Uh, and return to the Father. Admit you are wrong for playing God, and He will remove the suffering from you because nothing, and of ourselves, we can do nothing. Yeah, I think there. I think there's a lot of truth in there, retard. Um, I, 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 I actually don't agree with the the. And I know that if you're not familiar with this, by the way, lady, I, this is largely a meme uh, from this guy Jesse Lee Peterson, who is hilarious. He's one of the funniest dudes on the internet. Um, but I, I, I don't actually believe that, like, uh, the, the, the nature of women is evil. I, I do think that, uh, unfortunately, generally speaking, in society of kind of a phenomenon of uh, not spiritually sound women, though. A lot of young men growing up because, you know, their mothers are, are not spiritually sound mothers and motherhood is deeply important and having a spiritually sound mother is deeply important. Uh, so there, there's definitely like a very real phenomenon uh, of that, though. I mean, I think it's also really important to have a spiritually, you know, a, adult, <laughs> I guess, father. Like I talk about the divine feminine, divine masculine all the time. I think that totally fits into it. But yeah, I just, I, you know, as far as the meme goes, though, like that is those are really confusing Christian platitudes. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it'd be hard to explain if you haven't like seen it. It's like a, it's like a Christian comedy show. I, I get it. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure I've seen it. You know, like, um, I get it. It's, it's like the Bitcoin memes, but you know, for religion. Yeah, no, <laughs> they're all, they basically all have the same motifs. Yeah, it's a. Uh, but, but if, but if your, if your argument is that Christianity is logical, right? Like, it yeah. follows some type of logic where it makes sense, like those things to me are, don't make logical sense. Like why is, you know, why is butt sex between men a sin? Like, well, is, I mean, we does that know, include we can, like, no, like these, these are good questions, right? Like I, I'll gladly like go to the tone any of these questions. Right. Uh, like is, is a woman laying with a well, woman yeah, also no, a so sin? It's, it's, it's fun. No, is no, a woman it, not having children a sin? It, it, it's funny you bring up these questions. I was actually just thinking about this yesterday. Uh, there, there were several questions here, but I'll, I'll address the middle one first. Is, are, is two women laying with each other uh, a sin? And, I mean, 
I, my general, uh, my general MO is, you know, default to the Bible on these questions. And I see nowhere in the Bible where it says that it is, uh, you know, therefore, you know, kind of like by default, I have to say like, you know, my, my logical conclusion is, is, is no. Um, and then that, that leads to what your first question was, right? Which is why is... That's not logical, that's dogmatic, but continue. Well, we, could, we could get into that, right? But right, I'll give you my conclusions and then I, then I can defend them if, if, if you wish to challenge me on them. Um, but, um, which leads to your first question, right? Which is, uh, is, is why, why is gay butt sex, uh, gay male butt sex uh, a sin particularly? And I think that that's actually a more interesting question, right? Um, and I think a big part of it is that it's, you know, feminine. First of all, it, it, it's what the what the Bible refers to as abomination, which is also what it refers to uh, eating pork and shellfish as abomination. And what 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 that means biblically is using something for that which it is not designed. Right. So, like, you know, using uh, a screw to nail two pieces of wood together. Right. Like, theoretically, you could do it. But that would be an abomination because, like, that is using something uh, in a way in which it is not designed. Um, homosexuality is, is one of one of the things that the Bible does say about it, as far as it being a sin, is that it describes it as abomination, right? And I mean, that's just like objectively true, right? Like, dicks go and pussies, not asses. Now, don't get me wrong; I I, I could wrap. That's not that's not objectively true. No, no, from like a, that, from, 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 you know, a, like like a hole is a hole, really. At the no, end of the day, that's that's why, from, I, like, from an evolutionary perspective, there, there's a place where it goes. There's a reason it goes there. That, that's also untrue because because like other species, you know, have homosexuality like embedded in them. Yeah, you make you right? make a like, good point, but but, but really, we're not if you look species. at if you look at it from like okay. The, the, Think about it in this way. The cultures at that point, like having children was a very important part of it. Whether or not if you want to debate whether the context is accurate for now, um, really, there, like, there's no way for a woman and a woman to have a child. There's no way for a man and a man to have a child. It's impossible for them. So from that perspective, uh, there's, there's no way to kind of supplant that. And then in that culture at that time, having children was like, you know, if you don't have children, you don't procreate, like, your society is destroyed, and so I think that that's also kind of a little bit of the the uh, the kind there, of reasoning for it at that point as well. And there's another and much more important point though that I was going to make about this, which is you know as to like why it's actually sinful and why it might be sinful for it to be between two men and not between two women, because uh, that's an interesting question, right? Like, because the Bible says you know a man laying with a, uh, another man the legs of a woman is a sin, all right? But it doesn't say that in in the reverse, and you know, it's an interesting question, like why, right? And a big part of my conclusion is that you know it, it what it what it what it is doing, like regardless of your you know personal sexual proclivities or your spiritual beliefs, uh, it is feminizing men. And one of the things that we were talking about earlier is that you know one of the big things that leads to the downfall of society is emasculine men. And, you know, the homosexuality is, you know, something that promotes, you know, emasculine male behavior and emasculine male behavior is, you know, one, is an extremely destructive, negative spiritual force. I, uh, I came here really for only two comments. Um, one, um, a lot of the other side in terms of spirituality practices 
all of that backdoor stuff in terms of like a practice and like ritual. And uh, I really haven't been able to figure out much other than they just they that's what that's their mo and they like to do that. And two, um, I just need to hear retard scale say butt sex and pot like in the same punctual manner that he has said previously. I just those are really the two things I want to add. I might think boy later, but it's been great listening to you guys. Thanks, Rad. Um, homosexual butt sex and pot. Yeah, guys, if you guys don't watch Jesse Lee Peterson, you're missing out on like literally one of the funniest people on the internet. Also, if you do look at the first chapter of Romans, it doesn't say kind of like explicitly, but it does talk about kind of women uh, in that context as well. So there's an argument there as well. I mean, I do. So here, continue. Sorry, you you guys you guys mentioned a lot like in context and for me like the question of homosexuality women men like doesn't really matter what matters to me is like the fact that if if you're using arguments like in context of that culture of that society is what that means that to me does not equate to objective truth because objective truth has no context it exists you're 100 as right. is the in interpretation all is where the context relies it's all relying upon the interpretation because we're going to view things in a completely different way i was in a room the other day and they were talking about like what love is and you know if you go if you go in and there's like you know i think 12 or 11 different ways to express love in the greek language specifically because there's different kind of levels of that so in their culture when somebody says i love pizza there's fifth, there's, you know, 11 different ways of saying love. And they probably wouldn't say, I love pizza about something that's very basic. Love. They would. So the point being is that we have different cultural context. So that really matters because it matters in the interpretation. Yeah. And also I want to be clear is I'm not making that argument. Like I'm not making the argument that like, you know, this stuff made sense in the context of the time, but, 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 you know, I'm not making that argument. Like, I think that, you know, one of the things that's important to understand about the Bible, and maybe if, if I haven't articulated this today, I, I should. But, you know, when I say that the Bible is true, I don't necessarily mean that the Bible is factual, right? Like, true and factual. Well, what do you mean? Well, let me explain. There are two definitions of the word true. There is true, as it's generally used today, to mean factual, right? Which is the definition you just jumped on. Right. But there is a second and like more classical definition of the term true, meaning to reliably arrive at the correct destination, as in an arrow flies true. Right. The Bible, regardless of which stories are factual and or not, the Bible is true. We'll have to agree to disagree on that. Lady, um, do, do you love God <laughs> um i i i guess yeah like that's if that's how you would describe uh, it in the english language so, so uh do you love god i rest my case
I mean, like, do you do you love love? Like, I don't. How you that, you answer a question with a question? What the? Do you love God? <laughs> God is love. Like, how, do you love love? Like that that question. Hey, hey, hey lady, lady, do you love God? I don't get the joke. It's a yes or no question, Lady A. Do, do you love God, Lady? Sure, yes. Amazing. So, uh, amazing. I gotta run, guys, but I appreciate this conversation, and by, by all means, it's like, conversations like this, Lady A, I mean, they literally take sometimes, like, months and years, and so, that's the cool, the cool thing, is that you can continue to kind of, like, talk, and you know, I don't think anybody is stupid for coming to the conclusions that they've come to. It's like everybody has their own experience. And so the cool thing is that like, as long as you're in a search for objective truth, I believe that you'll end to the conclusions, you know, that are right. And you just have to kind of keep going for it. And that's one of the things I love about like the Bitcoin space is that it really crushes you in, um, and kind of emphasizes like truth. And so, it kind of like squeezes you in a way where it's like, you know, you only have as much Bitcoin as you have because you've sacrificed however, however much fiat for the Bitcoin. And you can't lie your way out of that. You can only mine more fiat and trade it into Bitcoin or mine more Bitcoin. And so um, anyway, I, mean, I just wanted to say that this is, I think this is a productive conversation anyway. Couldn't cheers, agree. guys. Yeah, man. Thanks for stopping by. We're going to do this every Saturday uh, for what it's worth. And, uh, and yeah, no, I agree, I agree with you completely. Like, as long as you're, you know, as long as you're somebody who's like on the path of like searching and like, you know, trying to, trying to find answers, you know, I, I, I view you as a fellow traveler, even if I disagree with your, uh, your, your current conclusions, you know, cause you know, people change their positions all the time. Yeah. You know? So whatever, what other uh, spicy religious conversations can we be had? How are, are we, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking as a noob. I'm starting to get it. I mean, I'm kind of approaching the religion rabbit hole from like the esoteric rabbit hole, which is where I find most of myself spending time most of the days, but, uh, how do we reconcile the fact that, you know, all there's like three religions that are just majorly intertwined, right? You have Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. Um, and you see that the leaders of all three are trying to set up some location where all three are being like worshiped at the same time. I think it's like in Dubai or some shit. Um, how do we reconcile with how intertwined those three are, and how do we reconcile with the fact that all three institutions are corrupted and they're being uh, used against us and wielded against us? And uh, amazing, amazing, in great fashion. Amazing, great question. Uh, amazing. Yeah, there, 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 <laughs> there are several things here. Um, 
so there's 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 two there's two main questions, right? It's like, what is the relationship between these three major religions uh, as a general thing? And then the second question is, what is going on with what you just referred to? Is this weird uh, kind of seeming merger of these three religions from a political power uh, perspective, where they're kind of creating an international uh, religion headquarters thing in Dubai? Um, it's hard. The answer to the, I guess the first question kind of has to be answered to answer the second question, right? So the answer to the first question is, and you know, I, I'm going to put my position forward, and then if anybody has you know objections to it, like I'll I'll, I'll defend them uh, to the best that I can. Um, but my take on it is that uh, Judaism is correct in the sense that uh, you know the Old Testament is true, you know the Torah is true. Um, but Judaism is incorrect in that they don't recognize that the Messiah that they're still waiting for has already been here, and his name is Jesus or Yeshua or whatever. Um, and you know they reject the Messiah, um, so they've you know kind of fallen away from uh, you know, from the God that they're actually like trying to worship, uh, and it's a sad state of affairs. Um, Christianity, I would argue, obviously, uh, is. You know the correct inter. You know, I I joke all the time with with, with my friend Matt, who's actually right here, um, that you know, Christianity is basically just the correct version of Judaism, from my from my perspective. Is that like you know if if, if you're a Christian, like you're actually a Jew, and like you know people who are Jewish who are uh, uh, not believers in, in in Jesus as Messiah, I think are just uh, like Jews who have come to the logically incorrect conclusion. Um, and then Islam is basically like the anti-Christianity. Uh, Islam is like this kind of weird inversion of like Abrahamic principles uh, where there is like this kind of like Jesus-like figure in Muhammad, except instead of being like Jesus, uh, he's like the opposite of Jesus. He's like a warlord and like a slave trader and a fucking pedophile and shit. Um, you know, but it, but it is, it, it echoes of Abrahamic tradition. Um, so I think that these are, three kind of uh, potent spiritual forces in the world um, and their political power structures have been used for centuries to control people. And now when we're facing this threat of a one world government um, that is being rather rapidly ushered in by the people who largely steer society, um, you know, what they are you know, trying to do is create a one world religion and usher in the Antichrist um, because, like, this is prophecy and, like, it will happen, you know? Like, it's not, like, maybe it'll happen. Like, this will happen. Like, it, and it is happening now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's basically what I think is going on is that, like, you know, the Bible says that, like, you know, the, you know there will be, like, a, what it, what it uh, is usually translated as is a synagogue of Satan, right? Like, these major religions will be and have been, uh, you know, co-opted by satanic forces. And, you know, they're going to they're gonna try to wield these religions uh, into, you know, ushering in the Antichrist and doing uh, a lot of really awful stuff. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a crazy state of affairs. You know, like I think the Vatican is, you know, pure evil. And, you know, the same is true of the religious uh, hierarchy of, like, political power with the other Abrahamic religions. It's, uh, it's quite an incredible system of you know, Babylonian control. Bro, what's weird is 
when I was going to Italy, one of the things we wanted to do was go to the Vatican. And we spent like a week in Italy and we never went to the Vatican. Like when we got there, we like, like had no desire to go see the Vatican like at all. And it was weird. Like I wasn't even upset about it. Cause like, I don't know, like I, there's art and architecture everywhere. Like Italy's just like an, an ancient place. But, um, yeah. And to this day, I'm like, I don't, I don't really care. Right. Like all the cool stuff is in the basement, all those old books, like, the, like that was a Titus Livy, the historian from Rome. He wrote 60 books or 66 books, oddly enough. And uh, we only have like 33 or 31 of them uh, in existence. The other 30 are going to be in the basement, right? Like, so all the cool stuff you're never even going to see when you go to the Vatican. Um, but uh, yeah, one of the things that I think is interesting is that uh, in some religions, they don't want you to eat pork. And I don't know if that is anywhere in the Old or New Testament. I mean, that just yeah. might be because I'm a noob. But I think that's one of the things that Judaism and Islam gets correct. And I say this as a person that eats pork. I fucking love it. Yeah, it tastes delicious. But uh, also, um, our tissue and our cells, our, our, uh, our biology is very, very closely related to pigs. And there are some old stories that say that, you know, pigs weren't always pigs, that they were something else. And Facts. it's just like the more you look at it, like whether you're a scientist or you're a philosopher or you're a theologian, it doesn't matter. Like the more you dive down that rabbit hole, uh, bacon starts to taste less good. Let's just put it that way. I'm so happy you brought this up, right? Because so this is the thing of mine, right? Like I don't eat pork. I don't eat shellfish. I follow the uh, – I'm a Christian, but I follow the Old Testament, uh, like dietary laws. Um, you know, cause I, I think that they're correct. Um, and I was actually at a, you know, I moved out to the sticks to, to mine Bitcoin. I got some land and uh, we're going to raise goats. Um, and I, I went to a, uh, an animal auction last night and there were pigs being sold obviously at the animal auction. And I was joking with my roommate, like, holy fuck, man, like pigs are disgusting fucking animals, bro. Like they are absolutely disgusting, awful fucking animals. And I, I am so happy that, you know, I, I came to the conclusion long ago that, that pork is a shit coin and, and it's not spiritually sound to eat. Uh, you know, God gave us all these wonderful things to eat. There's plenty of wonderful things to eat that God gave us. Like, we don't have to go eating these fucking disgusting animals. It's like pigs are uh, humans 1.0. And they Dude, they're literally like, they're not just humans, they're like the worst humans. They're like fat, dirty, disgusting, boorish humans. They're awful. Bro, look what's happening to us, too. That's where we're going evolutionarily if we're just left to our own devices. And also, you know, the, and also, the other thing that, you know, I want to touch on something else that you touched on is that, like, there is this, uh, there's, like, this weird link, like, biologically with, like, humans and, and, and pigs. Uh, it's really creepy. And it's almost as if, like, you know, I wouldn't go so far as to say that eating pig is cannibalism, right? Because it's obviously not. But it's, like, on a spiritual level, I think it kind of has some, uh, some kind of ring of that to it. That like pork is something that for many reasons we're not supposed to be eating. Uh, and then the other thing is too, is not only there's like a air of cannibalism with eating pork because pork is so similar to human meat. Uh, but also the creepy thing is that pigs will eat humans and quite often, and this is something that, you know, doesn't get talked about a lot, 
but quite often commercial pig farms are owned by organized crime gangs and they use these farms to dispose of bodies because the pig will eat the entire body, the bones, the organs, the meat. This happens in Russia. Yeah, like this is a common thing. So when you're buying pork from you know any commercial operation, there is frankly a very decent chance that your pig has eaten a human. And one of the things you'll look at in the Bible with the, with the dietary laws, right, is that all of the things that the Bible says to eat are all ecologically sound things to eat. Like everything that the Bible says for humans to eat, eats things that are vegetarian, right, or, or like bugs. You know, like, like nothing that the Bible says to eat eats meat. Like, you can't think of a single thing that eats meat that the Bible says it's okay to eat because, like, we don't want to eat predators. Well, I mean, I'm not going to say it's because it, right, because, like, I don't like making the argument that, like, God does something because, right? Like, I think these things are because God said so, right? But that, that, that's another argument. But my point is that these things uh, line up that, you know, the Bible gives us rules about what to eat. And if you actually, like, analyze them, like, logically, it, like, wh- whether it's, regardless of the chicken or egg question, like, which is because of which, uh, they are ecologically sound things to eat. Like we eat, we eat vegetarians. We don't eat predators. Like we don't eat bottom feeders. You know, we, there, there are certain things that we don't eat and all the things that the Bible forbids you from eating are things that you really should not eat. And all the things that the Bible uh, recommends that you eat are all things that are good for the earth for you to eat. One more gross fact to add to this discussion is that uh, when cannibals were to mute, uh, what does human flesh taste like, or what, what, what's the closest resemblance to it? Uh, the common consensus is pork or bacon. Yeah, of course, because yeah, human meat is, is very, very similar to, to pork meat. Like, there is, there, it, it, I'm telling you, like, there's this really creepy thing with, with, with pigs. Um, they're disgusting fucking animals. Like, absolutely awful, disgusting animals. And they're and incredibly they're intelligent, out. too. At the same time, in the same breath, they eat trash, but they're also incredibly intelligent. So it's just all of these parallels, uh, and then the old cryptic stories of their origin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Can we hear some of those stories? I don't know them like offhand, and I'm just paraphrasing. But there's they were once there was there was, they were once a race like us, and they through their sins, God made them like how they are now with hooves and just make them eat trash and they roll around in their own filth. And this is supposed to be a reflection of their, of their previous uh, genus. Like the Cersei myth and Odysseus. Basically. Yeah. And there's also like, there's a story in the Bible about uh, like demons basically being cast into pigs. Um, You know, like they, and, and you know, it's interesting too, like just from a secular perspective, uh, like I'm sure everybody here has probably read Animal Farm, uh, that like, you know, pigs, like culturally too, like it's not just from like the Bible, uh, pigs have this, th- th- there's something about them, like they're not like just normal animals and they're definitely like, they're not to be eaten. What's up, Elsie?
guess we lost LC. I'm trying to get Moses back up here for some reason. Uh, for some reason, I'm having a hard time getting him back up. But yeah, man, pigs are fucking disgusting. And, like, you know, all the things that the Bible recommends that you not eat are just, like, things that, like, if you actually think about, like, they really are things you shouldn't eat. And, you know, I think that, you know, just to expand on that, like, it, uh, I think it speaks to the more broad phenomenon that Christians in, you know, mainstream Christianity is really fucking up in believing, because the general idea, if, like, for anyone who's not, uh, like, into Christianity and, like, wouldn't know this type of stuff, uh, the general argument from, like, mainstream Christians is that, uh, you know, Jesus came and fulfilled the law and the old covenant and created a new covenant. Um, and all of the Old Testament biblical laws are, uh, are no longer applicable. Um, that's like the general consensus among mainstream Christianity. And I think that it's you know, total nonsense. I think that God gave us a bunch of rules. They're great rules. And, uh, and we, should, we should stick to them. It's in our interest to stick to them. And one of the things that includes very uh, controversial one. This will make a lot of uh, a lot of mainstream Christians go re. But uh, you know, the Bible says explicitly to keep the Sabbath. You know, like that's why I host these spaces on Saturday, not Sunday. It's like you know, the Bible explicitly says to hold the Sabbath. And you know, a lot of people don't know the Christian history of why Christians started keeping the Sabbath on, uh, on Sunday, or not the Sabbath, but started, you know, started having their main day of worship be on Sunday. And it basically just came from the Catholic Church, like the Roman Catholic Church, uh, saying that they didn't want to be associated with Jews. Like the, the phrase was, they didn't want to be uh, perceived as Judaizers, was the term that they used. Um, and they decided, like, you know, we're not going to continue to have our holy day be on, on Saturday. We're going to make it on Sunday, which... You know, for a secular person, it might not sound like a big deal, but it's like if you believe that you know the Bible is law, and then like the church just comes around, and it's like, oh yeah, you know that day that like God told you is super important. Like we're just gonna change that. You know, like it doesn't, in my opinion, make any sense. Um, so you know, I, I I very much am of the mind that like you know the Sabbath is still uh, you know the 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 day of worship that you know God has outlined for us that we should follow the food laws. You know all of this, this stuff. I think it's all applicable. Hey there, hey there, Ephesians. Uh, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, when when Christ, obviously he's the fulfillment of the law, right? And when, you know, when he died and of course his bed rose again, he fulfilled some of the law, which of course we don't have to do today as Christians, right? That the Jews did in the Old Testament uh, in reference to the judicial ceremonial law with the moral law still being the schoolmaster that brings us to Christ, right? And so I do think that obviously not all the laws, and maybe I miss this part, but not all the laws in the Old Testament um, relate to us today as Christians uh, living, you know, post-Calvary. But things like, of course, the moral law and um, the commandments, those, of course, are used in order to let people know that you're a sinner in need of a saving Christ, correct? 
you know, my general take on this, um, and, you know, I, I want to be clear, I'm not trying to position myself as some sort of an expert. You know, I'm, relatively speaking, new to religion. Um, you know, this is a rabbit hole of mine for the last handful of years. Um, you know, so take anything that I say with a grain of salt. But, you know, my, my general interpretation of that um, there are certain things that are like uh, pertaining to like sacrifices and stuff that I think that like Jesus fulfills as like the sacrificial lamb. But like outside of that, I don't, I, I, unless I'm missing something, which I'm open to, right? Because it's totally plausible that I'm the one who's missing something. But I, I, I don't, I can't wrap my head around how, you know, Jesus just like made all of these, you know, there's, I don't know, like 400 or something laws in the, the Old Testament. Um, you know, I, I don't see any justification for the argument that these are no longer in play. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, there were laws pertaining to what, what type of garment you can wear and ones you shouldn't mix. Now, obviously, that's not the case today in the New Testament. That's what I mean in the sense... Why is that obvious? Pardon? I said, why is that obvious? Why is that obvious? I don't get it. Well, you said obvious. You, you said that there are laws pertaining to, for example, like how one should dress, right? And you said obviously today they are no longer in play, right? Uh, what's obvious about that? Is your argument that because something is popular today that means it's biblically sound? Because that obviously doesn't logically follow. Well, no, I would. I'll come from the perspective that many of the laws were given to the Jews so that they would be different to all the other nations around them and for them and for them to be a unique people, right? Including for example circumcision, which of course in the New Testament said, you know, circumcision doesn't benefit you as how it did in the Old Testament. So many of laws were given so the Jews would just be different to all the other nations around them. And so within that context, some of the things that that they were doing was just for them to be different, for them to be a unique people. And so, um, now that... Yeah, and I would argue that that still applies. Like, the argument, like, uh, like, my question to you is, at what point did that stop being applicable, and why? Um, I would say one, once the veil in the temple was, was, was rent in two, um, meaning now, you know, whilst before, you know, for, it was only the, the great high priest who could go into the holiest of holy. Um, that way was now uh, made normal for anyone who wants to um, come to the Lord directly themselves. They didn't have to go for a high priest. And so I think that ceremoniously showed that um, the, the rules, some of the rules anyway, I won't say all of it, but some of the rules and regulations which um, the Jews in the Old Testament had to follow, the Israelites had to follow, were not applicable today. So, yeah, I'll come from that perspective. Well, I mean, I could wrap my head around, like, you know, there, there's, like, you know, a commandment about, you know, a, a, a high priest going into a temple or something, and that can't be exercised on because that temple doesn't exist today, right? Like, that I could wrap my head around. But I can't wrap my head around, Jesus came, and now we can eat pork. You know, that doesn't logically follow. Yeah, I think, I think obviously... Well, yeah, I, I keep saying obviously, but that's that's just a figure of speech. But in the New Testament, it would it would talk about how you know 
um, meeting drinks and carnal washings, these things which were held in high regard in the Old Testament. And by the way, I'm not I'm not an advocate of, of eating pork. I don't I don't tend to eat it now anyway, but just in, in the sense that certain certain what certain carnal washings which they had to do, right, are not applicable today. And I'm guessing meats and drinks as well. Right. And in the New Testament today, the Bible makes it clear like, you know, everything Right when Peter had the vision, when the when all those animals came down, and Peter was like, "Oh, oh no, Lord, I can't eat some of these things." It's like, "Hey, what the Lord is?" Of course, I'm paraphrasing, but what what the Lord is called clean, call us down like unclean. Now, of course, that was in reference to Gentiles, but the application is still there in that um, certain things. The application. But, but that's the point, though. It's like you, you, you said it yourself. Like the, and for anybody who's not familiar with what he's referring to, there's a story where Peter uh, has a vision that he is uh, in front of all of this non-kosher uh, or biblically clean food, um, and God tells him to eat, right? And then he wakes up, and some people come from a foreign land and uh, you know, tell him that you know, he's requested, and he goes, to, he goes with them to proselytize, and they have all of this food. Um, at their at their table, uh, and and he eats the food. And you know there are several kind of interpretations of this verse, but my interpretation of it is that it's about proselytization. Like proselytization, it's not about uh, like the food being unclean. Because like the point of the uh, of the uh, the point of the story, and if you read on after the story. Uh, is that like Peter still acknowledges that like eating the food is wrong and like he didn't continue to do it like it was just the one time and like he recognized that it would have normally been wrong but like God told him to do it in this particular circumstance so he could proselytize to the Gentiles. Yeah, but and wouldn't you say then because because Peter and the other um, apostles were so reluctant even even after even after God had told him, hey, listen, Gentiles um, are now welcome and and you know Gentiles should be accepted. Wouldn't you then argue and say, well, because we're so reluctant to really take that message outside of Jerusalem, that's why Paul, I think after Acts chapter 13, now becomes the focal point because now he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles, whilst Peter was more so the apostle to the Jews, right? Wouldn't you say that their failure to kind of lead on after that and, you know, blend in with the Gentiles was not actually... A positive thing, hence why you know Paul had to come and you know then take the message, you know, to Macedonia and then of course to um, parts of like Europe. Well, I think proselytizing is deeply important, right? Um, and there's a place for it, and obviously uh, it had an integral role in that that story with Peter's vision. Uh, but proselytizing is not the only thing, right? Like you know, Christians can't just entirely change their belief system for the, you know, uh, intention of, of, of converting as many people as possible, right? Because that doesn't actually, uh, you know, make any sense. Um, you know, I don't think that, uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, is, is mentioned a handful of times in the Bible is that, like, Christians are expecting, you know, when I say Christians, you know, and I'm not saying this to be inflammatory, but, like, I mean, like, you know, I think Christianity is just the correct version of Judaism. You know what I mean? So, like, what I'm saying would also apply to Jews. Like, I just think that they need to recognize the Messiah. Um, but Christians should be set apart from society, like you said, right? Like, part of the reason that we had these rules in the first place was to set us apart, right? 
like and you know we look at the world around us today like as bitcoiners and i think we can all understand the utility of that right like of having a lifestyle that is like not part of their babylon system at all like we wear different clothes and we eat different food and we like have like a, a, like an entirely kind of different uh you know spiritual and 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 like physical existence to to babylon right and i think that that's uh that that's deeply important Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, I had a question for people who are, you know, pretty, have read the Bible or have some stories or whatever, but if you were to pick one story from the Bible to analogize Bitcoin to, what would, uh, what would you choose from the Bible? Well, I mean, that, that's an interesting question, right? Uh, and I'm definitely, uh, I'm, I definitely don't know the Bible as well as uh, some of the people who have been up here talking earlier, but uh, the one that comes to mind like instantly to me is like David and Goliath, you know, cause like that is kind of like what's going on here is that there is this like Goliath, like international banking state uh, and all the horrible things that come with it. And uh, you know, we're just like, uh, you know, we're, we're just like these little lines of code and you know, people all over the world who are executing it. Uh, and you know, if, if I'm right about the way that I think that this is going to turn out in the long run, like in the short term, I think it's going to get pretty ugly, but like, you know, in the long term, uh, you know, I'm, I'm extraordinarily optimistic, you know, and hopeful. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I definitely see it as like a David and Goliath type of thing, but I'm sure there's lots of other analogies, uh, that could, that would be fitting as well. I think Christ trying over the tables is pretty accurate. Base, good one. Of what we're doing. hundred yeah, percent agree. That's a good one, too. That's my favorite, and I don't talk to a lot of Christians, but if I was in front of a no-coiner Christian, I would just start with that question and ask why did he flip the table and let them figure out. And chase them out with a whip. Right. I would say, um, you know, even, even, the, even the virgin birth of Christ, right, in relation to, to, how, to, to how Bitcoin was formed, and how you know it, it, it's it's a very unique way um, Bitcoin came about, and that all these other altcoins um, all have a CEO, right, or somebody who you can point to and say, yeah, this is the person um, who who started it. You know where he is, but with Bitcoin and Satoshi kind of disappearing off the scene, it's almost like an immaculate thing that cannot be replicated again. It's like a one-time thing, a one-time event. And that is completely unique to Bitcoin alone. Likewise, the virgin birth of Christ is unique to Christ alone. And every other religion, every other founder um, had, you know, had a name. Muhammad, Buddha, and so on and, and so forth, right? But um, Bitcoin itself, its founder is unknown. So, yeah, I would, I would even say that the, the virgin birth. Yeah, I think that, you know, again, back to, you know, what I was saying earlier that like Bitcoin really is uh, like, like 
morally and spiritually compatible with the Bible. Like there are, you know, no shortage of, uh, you know, kind of biblical analogies, uh, you know, with regards to Bitcoin. And, you know, I think that that is, you know, a sign. Like, you know, I do think that like God gives us signs of things. And I think that, you know, the, the similarities between Bitcoin and lots of uh, biblical stories uh, is both, uh, it, it's like a double-sided evidence point, because like, it gives Bitcoiners evidence of God and it gives people who believe in God evidence of Bitcoin's legitimacy. You know, it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, the Bible says, like, uh, I forget the exact phraseology, but basically, like, you know, those who have ears will hear it. You know, and it's like, I, I, I do think that like Bitcoin is one of the things that it's talking about, right? Where it's like, if you're, you know, to, for lack of a better term, like woke to what's going on, right? Uh, and you're like, actually, you're, you're, you're seeing, you know, the, the events happening around you, you know, the, the totalitarian state being built and like all the, all the horrible stuff that goes with it. Uh, and you're also uh, like spiritually optimistic because, you know, you believe the good guys are going to win for lack of a better term. Uh, you know, you are the type of person who's going to come across Bitcoin and pay attention, whereas most people are not people who have ears, right? You know, most people are NPCs, they're normies, and they're never, you know, they're not going to be us. They're, you know, it's nice to think, it's cute to think like, oh, like, you know, we can make everybody be a Bitcoiner. It's like, that's never going to happen. The vast majority of people are sheep. It's our and when I say sheep, I don't mean that in the sense that like I'm black pilled and I think that they should all die or something. You know what I mean? Like they're sheep in the sense that like we need to be noble herders and we need the sheep. We need to lead the sheep in the right direction because the sheep are going to go in whatever direction the people who steer society push them in, right? And the people who currently steer society are satanic, and we need to you know be we need to become the people who steer society. We don't want to seize the power from them because we don't want their power. Because their power is built on illegitimacy, and we, we don't we, we should reject that. Um, but we're kind of building a parallel uh, power structure that I think is just going to, uh, you know, ethically and voluntarily uh, take over their power structure. And you know, we need to be, you know, uh, you know, good stewards of the sheep. The sheep are going to go in whatever direction they're pushed in. We, you know, we got to push them in a different direction. Some good verses for reference uh, for Bitcoin man in the Bible. Uh, definitely Daniel 2, uh, the prophecy of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the stone cut without hands that collapses the empires of the world um, and then grows to be a great mountain. I, I personally believe that to be referencing Bitcoin. Uh, there's another one in, um, there's another few of Revelations 2.17, I think references Bitcoin and the same as Revelations 3.18. Uh, I'm sure there's more. Question back to uh, what Floridian was saying. Do you see Bitcoin evolving as like we are going to be the Amish as far as like a secluded part of society that it's like, hey, leave us alone. Let us just practice our religion. Or will we use Bitcoin as like a way to conquer the world the way Columbus did or the Europeans did and say, hey, this is our destiny to conquer the world? It seems plausible to me that either of those could turn out being uh, what happens. I mean, I, if you're asking what I'd personally prefer, uh, I'm, I'm much more of a fan of the, uh, the Amish uh, strategy. You know, um, I, uh, you know, I've actually just started like buying uh, stuff at, there's some Mennonites nearby me and like, I fucking love these people, dude. Like 
they just, you know, they, they have a parallel society, you know, and they just don't interact with the government and they just like believe what they believe and they do their thing. And, you know, they are probably almost entirely unmolested by the state uh, because they just, you know, have set themselves up in a way in which they can pretty much ignore it, you know, and that's really the way to go. Now, long term, do I think that like the game theory of Bitcoin will play out to the whole world and like everybody will be free? I think it's possible. I'm not sold on the idea that that will happen, but I'd like it to happen. That would be great. I would prefer to not live in a world of like first and 10th class citizens. Um, you know, I would like to live in a world where everybody is free. You know, everybody won't be rich like by definition, but where everybody is free. Um, you know, I would like to live in that world, uh, but I'm not sure how it's going to play out. Uh, you know, I, I, I have no way of knowing. No one has any way of knowing. I just think Bitcoin is so diverse and so worldwide by this point that compared to the Amish, right, you have people that all look the same, that are very tight-knit family. They know everyone in their community. But the point of Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is for enemies, right? Christians can trade with Muslims or atheists and vice versa. So... Um, I think there's a lot of the Bitcoin maximalist people that want to see hyper-Bitcoinization at 2, 3, 4 billion Bitcoin users. But, I mean, maybe I, I do prefer the Amish way too because it sounds way less violent and we wouldn't be made out to be like the people who caused all the hyperinflation, you know, the negative outcomes of that. So, I mean, hopefully we can become like just a chill part of society. I'm not trying to be a, like a super billionaire. I just want to live like an honest life. Yeah. You know? Like no, I'm with you, man. I, 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 I agree completely, you know? Um, and I think that more people, you know, one of the big problems with society, right? It is very normal to want to be rich. Right. And this gets back to the like we were having a conversation earlier about like the love of money um, and its relationship to evil. But, you know, don't get me wrong. Like being rich is dope. And like I for all other things being equal, I would prefer to be wealthy than to be poor. But, you know, there are a lot of things that are more important than uh, being financially wealthy. Um, and I think that, you know, society puts way too much focus on that. Uh, you know, and I think that the cool thing about Bitcoin is that the reason that Bitcoiners are getting and are going to continue to get fabulously wealthy is because we are saving the world. And if we fail to save the world, then we don't actually deserve it. But if we do succeed in saving the world, then we deserve the riches. You know, so it's like this very kind of like moral game that we're playing and I'm fucking stoked to be part of it. Yeah, it's like can you hey. fuck us out of this situation? If so, go ahead, you deserve it. Hey guys, I'm I'm gonna head out yeah, but good speaking to you like it's good to see um so many Christian Bitcoiners in this Hey man. We do it uh we do this every Saturday. Fucking keep an eye out for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah. Hop in anytime, man. We'd love to have you more. Yeah, definitely. It's been a pleasure, Ephesians. Uh, see you later, everyone. All right, dog. Have a great day. You too, man. Bye.
I'm going to head out too, guys. This was really awesome. Thank you. Peace out. Come back again, ladies. See you soon. I will. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> what up, hacker? How many of y'all have Bitcoin or Lightning Bitcoin ATMs in your Wait, hacker, your microphone's coming in like really, really quiet. See if we can uh, get that fixed. What up, Permable? You want to come up here, even though you're a heathen? We got permable in the house. Wagwan Island boy. Wagwan. Just day You know, it's funny, like, one, one religion that actually gets slept on, because this is, like, kind of like a religious space, like, and this is related, like, one, one religion that actually does get, like, really slept on in, uh, like, Rasta. theological circles is Rasta. Yeah, dude, like, Rastafari is actually an awesome religion. Like, I think they're wrong. Well, the like, problem is they're idolizing a person, and correct. they've been caricatured, I guess, with, like, the whole weed stuff. Like, they put the weed above the actual... Well, those are two very, those are two very separate things. I mean, uh, you know, I, I agree with you uh, that the problem with Rastafari is that they, they worship a false prophet, right? Like, Because for those who don't know, Rastafari is kind of like Christianity, but it, 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 cause it's like another form of post Messianic Judaism basically. But they believe this guy, uh, Haile Selassie was the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, so they're like kind of like Christians, but they're like a different, they're kind of like an offshoot of Christianity, uh, who worshiped this guy who was the emperor of Ethiopia in, I want to say like the seventies. Um, but besides the fact that they worship a false prophet, in my opinion, uh, Rastafari is like a super fucking based religion and like Rastas really like have a lot of stuff right like not everything but they have a lot of stuff right like they're very humble people and they believe in living off the land like they have uh, a sound understanding of like the human relation to suffering and like the necessity of going through suffering and having faith in God and you know like they, they, they have some really 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 good values Rastas yeah, like, I believe in God and everything, but I just think the fact they even reference the Bible is, like, bad. Because I'm under the belief that Africans or black, whatever you say, had their own pagan religions or whatever until they met white people and they gave them Christianity and stuff. So, I don't know, uh, a religion that's based off another religion that your slave masters gave you just always seemed kind of weird to me. Yeah, but, you know, keep in mind for what it's worth, and, like, I think this is a common meme, and I know you're Canadian, so you probably were exposed to this meme a lot, but, um, you know, Christianity is not a white religion. Like, it, and it never was. Like, you know, Christianity, in fact, like, 
Christianity is a very racially ambiguous religion, right? Like, like Jesus was probably a very like middle of the road brown color. <laughs> like, Jesus was probably exactly in like the middle of like the potential skin color chart. Wasn't I'm not sure if you know so, some guy named Constantine or something. Do you know who I'm talking about? Like the emperor. <laughs> yeah, like I was watching something, and basically, if he had lost that war, the way. The West is basically like based off of uh, Christianity and Catholic. It would have been Muslim. So it's like you only subscribe to this religion because of that one war that happened and the religion got spread around. Yeah, because God intervened and we fucking beat those Muslims. <laughs> really, bro? <laughs> no, but like honestly, dude, like because Islam is like a toxic religion. Like it really <laughs> but this is the thing if you were born in the middle east you'd be saying christianity or catholic is a toxic religion well those are two different things i do say catholicism is toxic i don't say christianity is toxic and i do say islam is toxic because the record is objective like that's the thing it's like you can actually like look at the record of this stuff and and make objective like inferences about it and like christianity is a religion based about a guy whose whole thing was like telling the truth and like loving people and being peaceful and shit and islam is based on a dude who's a warlord and had a nine-year-old wife that he fucked and had slaves and sold slaves like you know they're very different role models and if you're going to argue to me that having a role model that's like this peaceful truth-telling dude and having a role model that's a pedophile warlord are morally equivalent, you know, like, I, I, I can't laugh at you. Like, I think that's absurd. So you think if you were born in the Middle East, you would be able to make that switch and be like, this isn't the right religion, I'm going to switch over to Christianity? Well, it would be very difficult because, uh, you know, most Islamic societies are, you know, when it comes to information, very tyrannical. Um, and also... Uh, a lot of information just simply isn't even in their languages, right? Like, you know, the vast majority of uh, philosophical writing is in English. And uh, I don't know what the second most common language is, but it's certainly not Arabic or Farsi or Urdu, you know. Um, so a lot of people in Muslim countries have never even been exposed to the types of ideas that, like, we take for granted. Um, you know, so it, there's something to be said about, like, if I was born in, like, you know, Egypt, would I be a Muslim? Like, yeah, probably. Uh, but that doesn't make it right. <laughs> like, you know, if I was born into a family of fucking Satanists, I would probably be a Satanist. Like, that doesn't make it right. So, then there's no freedom of choice at that point. Yeah, say you were born into a family of Satanists. No, there is freedom of choice. It's just uh, your ability to to you know make judgments is unfortunately very limited uh and it's you know not that nobody comes out of those societies with dissenting opinions but it's uh you know it's not super common and it's not socially tolerated which is why a lot of them end up coming to countries like america you think when god says in revelations like he's gonna play a trumpet and all that it's just a metaphor you think that's like real uh, I mean, my guess is it's probably not literally a trumpet as in, like, a brass instrument, right? Um, do I think that there is probably going to be some kind of a literal sound that is made all over the world um, that everybody hears? Yeah, probably. You know, and what exactly that is, it's hard to say. You know, like, one of the things that obviously comes to mind is, like, uh, you know, everybody has seen in, like, movies, like, the sound of, like, uh, like alarm 
uh, sirens going off because like there's going to be like an impending like nuclear attack or something like that, right? Like that's a concept that people are familiar with. Like it could be something like that, right? Uh, where like you know there ends up being some kind of a nuclear war, uh, and there are like sirens going around the whole world that everybody hears. Um, you know that's a possibility. Whether I, are, are, are they literally going to be trumpets? Probably not, right? Because you know one of the things that one of the things that Moses was talking about earlier. Um, I don't know if you were part of the conversation when when this was being talked about, but like, uh, you know, the context of Revelation should be understood as like you know somebody viewing the future from the perspective of somebody who was alive, you know, a couple thousand years ago, you know. Um, so like if somebody from the future or somebody from the that far in the past were like seeing like the year I don't know twenty one hundred and uh, you know there were like you know nuclear alarms going off and like all this crazy stuff you know they wouldn't be able to describe them in those terms because they wouldn't know what those things are they would describe them as things like trumpets and beasts and shit like that. How about the rapture? You think? God's chosen people are really just going to be gone. Everybody's going to wonder where everybody is. No. no, I don't. I think that's like modern Christian dogmatic bullshit. I don't think that's real. True. You know, like just because something's popular in mainstream Christianity doesn't mean it's actually in the Bible. <laughs> like there's a lot of stuff like this. And like, I think part of that, I think that has a big part to do with why a lot of people don't take Christianity seriously. It's because there's a lot of like silly stuff. Uh, that I think people can like recognize is kind of silly that has been uh, absorbed by mainstream Christianity. Um, and instead of like looking at that seriously, they just uh, like get defensive because it's like their traditions or whatever. It's a shame. So do you think we just uh, conform to society so we don't kill each other? Uh, I don't know what you mean. Like how you're living off grid and like trying to do your own thing with food that obviously whoever created this, this planet provided for us. Like we don't need to have this social contract with government or people really like we would live fine. <laughs> picking well, we up don't food have, and... well, we don't have a social contract with the government. First of all, uh, there is no, so there is no social contract. Um, but I mean, when you're in society, yes, you have a social contract. You, you, nah, there's there's certain behaviors that are are not. So when you adhere to that, yeah, it's, it's not a contract. That's a contract. It's a social no, contract. No, no, no. Social norms yes. are not. Social there's there's a reason why if you're in line at a grocery store, you don't go to the front because you're in the society and it's a part of the social contract to be courteous and just wait your turn in line. That's it's, not, how, no, it's not a contract, no, because you you absolutely can go ahead and skip the line. People will just think you're a dick. Like it's not. No, it's, it's not a, a dick. It's, it's no the contract. unwritten rules of society. What do you mean? That is the social contract. Perma, perma. By by definition, contracts have to be voluntary. If you don't agree to it, it's not a contract. And if you're so, expected to keep, if you're expected to keep to rules that you did not agree to, you are a slave. Yeah, we're all slaves. Well, I'm not, and I and I have no interest in being one. <laughs> you're a slave, bro. Well, okay. <laughs> I mean, you're you're, ent you're entitled to your opinion, but I don't, I don't I don't feel super enslaved. I mean, on some level, right? Like I live in a country with a government that could like theoretically imprison or kill me at any time. Like so, theoretically, yeah. But like in practice, no. Nah, I mean, I'm pretty free. 
Uh, you know, I live in Florida. It's pretty, it's pretty based. All hail King DeSantis. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty nice down here. Do you here. drive I with would, a driver's license? Uh, I, I, it's funny you say that. Um, I actually have, uh, an out of state license and several years expired registration and it's never been a problem. The cops have pulled you over and you show them expired stuff. No, nah, they've just never even pulled me over. Yeah, so actually, actually, I've had, well, I've never been pulled over, but one time I, uh, literally, bro, like my fucking wheel popped off in the middle of the street, and the fucking cops came, and they scanned my license. I knew, I knew they did, and they saw that I had expired registration, but they just didn't give a shit. They didn't say anything about it. You've never been pulled over in your life? No, I have, but not in, like, years. I can't remember the last time I got pulled over. Oh. What up, uh, Bitcoin, uh, Cafe? Hey, what's up, man? Yeah, no, I think we're all pretty much uh, slaves, but in a, in, a, in, a, in a new digital world. But my question was, hey, man, so what do you guys think about the... Um... Hello? Hey, I think you glitched out for a second there, but we can hear you now. Can you, can you repeat okay. your question? Yeah, so, so, so um, what do you think about... I know this has came up in the past. So I just wanted to get your view since I, uh, this is Bitcoin Church. What do you think about Bitcoin being the mark of the beast? I know that they said the new world order is coming. You know, Bitcoin will eventually be the world reserve currency. We all know that. Uh, the market of beats is going to be digital. Obviously, it has to be. Uh, and uh, Bitcoin can be tracked. I could see that happening if it got into the wrong hands or if they got the majority of it. Um, but uh, what, do you, what do you think of that? I don't think it's like that Bitcoin is the mark of the beast. I mean, this is something like I have like heard people uh, express concern about. And, you know, while I think some Bitcoiners are inclined to kind of like mock that, like I think it's something that should be taken seriously. Um, you know, my, my perspective on it is that it's, it's very unlikely that Bitcoin is the mark of the beast. Um, first of all, Bitcoin, nobody's forced to use Bitcoin. Um, you know, like fundamentally, like one can't be forced to use Bitcoin. Um, you know, Bitcoin is, in fact, my, my, my perspective is that Bitcoin is the antidote to the mark of the beast. You know, like, I think there's going to be a bunch of people who take the mark of the beast. And I think that'll be some type of uh, central bank digital currency, uh, biometric type wallet thing. Um, you know, and I think that that will be the mark of the beast. And then, like, Bitcoin will be, like, the competitive, uh, the, the competitive uh, you know, thing against the mark of the beast. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you, man. I think that I just want to get your view, but I think that that that'll eventually happen. I think that that uh, uh, maybe we see hyperinflation. The government demonizes Bitcoin, uh, comes up with a bunch of fake stories, and then they turn to people against the Bitcoiners. So, yeah, I can see that happening. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, I think that uh, it's it's going to get crazy before it gets better. You know, uh, you know, as Bitcoiners, like. You know, you should understand, like, the gains that, you're, that you've made over the years uh, come with a price. Like, if you intend to keep them, uh, you may have to die for your principles. Uh, but, like, it's a battle worth having. And, you know, we have to, you know, we have to do what we have to do. And we have to stand up for what is true and what is right. And, you know, if, you know, if, we, uh, if we make it out the other end, we are going to be just unbelievably, like, tremendously rewarded for doing so. 100% agree. Um, have a question and a comment on that. I actually uh, was talking to my mom for like three hours uh, the other night about Bitcoin. She just kept asking more questions. And, uh, geez, it's like you, I don't think we all realize how much uh, there, you know, 
uh, Bitcoin, there's there's just so many layers to it. Um, so question and comment. Comment is um, when my mom asked that question too about uh, you know the world reserve currency and Bitcoin and what if it's some kind of a like a, um, you know uh, what's the phrase? It's like a, a Trojan horse, right? For the for 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 that for that initiative. But look look at the world reserve currency right now. It's the dollar which has pyramids and eyes and is controlled by a global satanic elite, you know, cult and the, the few controlling the many with a, uh, <laughs> a, uh, a fiat currency that they can print into affinity. And then you look at Bitcoin and it's a transparent, open, monetary, censorship resistant, peer to peer, you know, honest monetary, uh, you know, network based on mathematics and Austrian economics. And you look at the two and it's just like, well, one has pyramids and eyeballs on it, and the other one is like transparent and peer-to-peer. So um, that one looks less uh, like the mark of the beast than, than the one we're using today. Um, so that's my comment. But question is, uh, um, if is anyone a Bitcoin miner in here? I had a mining question. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up? Shoot. Um, so uh, I was really, really wanting to get into mining um it's just <laughs> so cool um and uh there's not a lot of books on it there's a lot of books on crypto mining and uh and i don't know how you guys feel about the word crypto but, <laughs> but i'm looking for a little bit more um just objective like uh information around you know not only what equipment in terms of hardware but i think there's a lack of understanding in terms of what is that environment needed to um, for the uh, for the you know whether it's micro BTs or ASIC S19s or whatever you're getting? What is that environment they would need to be in? Is it like in terms of like humidity, temperature? Um, is that a difficult equation to figure out uh, when you set yeah. those up? Yeah. So these these are the right types of questions. Um, First of all, I mean, the thing that matters the most more than anything, like as far as like, is my environment uh, suitable for mining Bitcoin? The number one thing that matters is your power price at the end of the day. If you have expensive power, it's not really worth it. If you have cheap power or even just like moderate price power, um, it is definitely worth it. Um, So that's the first thing that you have to figure out. Um, do you have any idea what you're Yeah, so, so I'm looking at Idaho and Arizona. Like, I'm in California now, which we all know is definitely not the place to do it. But, For uh, sure. We're, we're going to be going to either Arizona or Idaho next year because um, fuck Newsome. But um, uh, th- those are around 7 or $0.08 cents per kilowatt hour. And then... Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Is that... If we can yeah, do, like, I mean, sub $0.09 cents or, like, $0.08... Cents, yeah, you can you can definitely you can definitely mine Bitcoin profitably uh, at that price. Um, you can probably, I mean, this is like a giant disclaimer. Like, do your own research, and when I say that, that's not like a cop out. I mean, like, really do like hundreds of hours of research. Um, you know, pertaining to your situation and you know how you would hypothetically set up a mine and stuff like that. Um, but frankly, I think you know eight or nine cents a kilowatt hour will likely remain profitable. Um, you know, for three to five years at least. 
Um, so you have a good amount of time to crank out a, a fucking decent chunk of Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin mining at those types of prices. Um, my number one advice would be to get started as soon as possible. Um, the sooner you have machines turned on, the better. Uh, I got a handful of machines turned on. I'm actually going to turn on a handful more uh, this afternoon. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's the, 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 sooner, the sooner the better, basically, because the difficulty is, for all intents and purposes, always going to go up. I mean, it might not go up literally every single adjustment, but, like, you know, over time, the, the difficulty generally is just going to keep going up. Um, so you want to just start hashing ASAP. As far as uh, the environment in either, like, Idaho or Arizona, for example, which you brought up, uh, neither of those should be a problem. I mean, like, on super hot days in Arizona, you can run, like, an EVAP cooler, uh, which aren't a lot of money and don't run a lot of power. Um, and you could, you know, add some cold uh, kind of humidity dense air, uh, into the room, which is fine. You asked about humidity. Humidity is not really a problem. Um, you know, the move is just to, to move lots of air at the end of the day. Like if you're moving a shitload of air, you're going to be just fine. Um, even if you're somewhere like Arizona or like I'm in Florida, like it's really hot and it's relatively humid here. Um, I'm in, the, I'm in, I'm in the middle of the state, so it's not as humid as it is on like the coast, but like still like, you know, it's hot and humid here and like I'm running, I'm running some overclocked S9s literally outdoors right now, and they're fucking fine. Getting, like, 16 terahash in S9. Um, you know, so... Awesome, awesome. Uh, one la one uh, quick comment, too, if, uh, if you could. Uh, no one has been... Um, like, no one can see my tweets, so it's hard when I post a question that I get any, like, action. <laughs> and, but I posted a question, or I tweeted a question, like, yesterday or the day before. Um, if you go to my... Um, if you go to my profile, uh, my, my Twitter handle, um, and it's just like any comments on this immersion cooling system, because I've heard good and bad, but more from like anecdotal sources. Are you and, asking about a particular immersion system so or the concept I, I, generally? Yeah, so both, I guess. So the concept generally, and, um, and there's this B minor uh, like uh, cooling system, immersion cooling, and they're really nicely priced, and... Um, like it's uh, they look to be pretty like uh, the dialectic fluid that I've heard. Like if you, I guess I've heard that if you can get an immersion system uh, working, like it's set up correctly, that you're going to get more hash power. It's going to be less wattage. So like you can like I think what I like the guy that is in the video on the um, that I posted, he said he's getting like 1.5 times the regular tera hash of the, uh, of his, of his miners. And he's got a few different ones like S19s and Bitfury, but 1.5 is pretty significant. And then it's supposed to lower your elect, like the wattage, um, a good, like 20 ish, like at average percent. So yes. there's a lot of attractive things. So yeah. Any thoughts or feedback on that? Yeah. So yeah, actually, yeah, I got a bunch of thoughts and feedback on it. Uh, in a nutshell, um, there are a ton of, of uh, advantages to immersion cooling. Um, the long story short is that immersion cooling is dope. Uh, it is objectively uh, a, a, better, uh, a better environment to run your miners in. Um, the thing is that, at least at the moment, uh, it's a fairly uh, both complicated and expensive system to set up, especially at scale. Um, so unless you're uh, like a really, really big time miner with 
fucking shitloads of capital at your disposal. Uh, it's probably not the right uh, avenue for you unless you're somebody who is uh, extremely handy. Like if you're somebody who has a solid understanding or you're capable of teaching yourself things like, uh, you know, electrical engineering and uh, HVAC stuff and fluid dynamics and like, you know, these types of kind of blue collar engineering disciplines. Uh, like if you're, if you're somebody who has a, like a general understanding of like basic, uh, you know, handyman stuff, plumbing, electrical, etc. Um, immersion probably makes a lot more sense to you um, for the average pleb. It would probably be difficult and expensive to set up long term. Would it be worth it? Yeah, probably. Um, but you know, if you're trying to get started, kind of like ASAP and for the cheap, I mean, you just buy a couple of big fans and some air filters, and you you know fucking build a box around your miners, and you just fucking turn them on. You know, like it's awesome. Pretty- Awesome advice, and I kind of feel like that's in line with what I've heard. Like, if you and I'm not, unfortunately, I fucking work in Silicon Valley, which means I have no real world skills. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, in terms of like you know electrical or plumbing or welding or any kind of you know value added real real skills uh, are uh, are not there quite yet. Um, uh, but uh, that being said, uh, c- could you let me know what you do think about those? about those B minors because those are relatively like something that holds 12 S 19s, uh, for under 10 K, um, not including the dialectic fluid, I think, which is like an extra grand. So maybe you're, you're looking at like a nine grand setup outside of like paying the electrician or, or whomever to kind of install it. Um, could you let me know what you think on that? Like what, well, I'm not familiar with that particular product. I mean, maybe you could link me to it or something. I'm, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that particular product, but what I can tell you just more generally is, um, you're talking about something to run 10 S 19s, right? So you're talking about when all is said and done, you're probably talking about 150,000, maybe even $175,000 investment altogether. Um, if you're looking to spend that kind of money, uh, for a relatively small Bitcoin Bitcoin mine, because at the end of the day, even 12 S19s is only like, you know, at most, like even if Brains comes out with, with software for S19s, it's going to be, you know, maybe one and a half terahash, maybe a little more. Yeah. Uh, one and a half petahash, I'm sorry. Um, maybe even a little more. Um, you know, it's a, it, it's a, it, it's a relatively small Bitcoin mine for, for, you know, $150,000, uh, you know, which a, a, a current, prices, you know, it's close to three full Bitcoins um, that, that would be required to start that up, right? Um, so, I mean, if you're willing to spend three Bitcoin to set up a dozen S19s, uh, then yeah, I mean, it actually is a product. I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not familiar with that particular product, but like, yeah. that sounds like a good deal. Um, you know, just me personally, I'm, I'm more of the mindset that like, if you have decent price just power. Just buy the Bitcoin. Uh, I mean, well, my, my strategy is basically like, you know, if you have decent price power, like I have decent price power. It's not like crazy cheap or anything, but I, I have decent price power and I'm just going to run as many fucking S nines as I can, you know, and it's going to yeah. be, uh, you know, a bitch and I'm probably going to blow up a transformer or two. Um, but you know, I don't give a fuck and I'm just trying to run, uh, as many miners as possible. And even though they're not as efficient as the S 19s, uh, you know, the, the, the sats spent per terahash in, in, in return is like fucking retarded compared to the S 19. Still there. 
You know, oh, yeah. man, no, it's more than still there. I mean, it's like way better, dude. I mean, it's like way, way better. Is it? Yeah, the only thing is there's a huge advantage to the S19, which is that you don't need much electrical infrastructure to run 10 S19s or 12 S19s. It's actually, right. it's actually not right. anything that crazy. Whereas, like, running, like, uh, you know, the equivalent amount of S9s would probably be, like, close to 100 S9s. Um, and, you know, running 100 S9s sure. is going to take a little bit more serious electrical infrastructure than running uh, a dozen S19s. 10. Yeah. Awesome. Super helpful to understand that. And and if I could send that to you, I would love I would love to get your feedback if you think it, that's like a legit system or if you think that's maybe like kind of maybe not. not I mean, look, it sounds, I'll be honest, it sounds on the cheap side, but that doesn't mean it's, it, it, it's not legit. Um, I, I haven't looked at it. The only, um, the only purpose built ASIC, uh, uh, what do you call it, immersion system that I'm actually familiar with is from uh, Engineered Fluids, um, which, you know, is the company that makes the dialectic fluid that everybody seems to like. Um, and there's for, um, I think it runs like 20 S19s and it's like 35 grand, like all included. So, I mean, it's, uh, it, you know, it's not completely outside the same realm of price, but it's definitely uh, the one you're describing is definitely a bit uh, a bit cheaper. A bit cheaper, yeah, yeah. That's what I want to. I'm like, is this solid or is this uh, is this on? And do you know if that includes like you should be? Do you know if that includes like careful. everything? So that's just uh, no. It, it doesn't include. It's just this, it's uh, the the um, the the immersion cooling like system that doesn't include the. Uh, the, the fluid it doesn't include um okay i think there's some other pieces to it yeah, so yeah that makes like, sense yeah. and yeah that that sounds like it's probably somewhere in the ballpark of like you know industry standard quote-unquote kind of pricing yeah. yeah okay awesome dude really helpful thank you sure, sure, appreciate it We got any other Bitcoin mining questions or Christianity questions or anything? What were we talking about before that? Uh, I don't know. We were talking about Rasta. No, that was like way before. I don't know. I'm just Island Boy. Oh, we're talking about the mark of the beast. Oh, yeah. Uh, fuck. I had a comment to make. I just forget. Uh, uh. <laughs> you fucking bum. <laughs> Bro, you can't be talking like that in church. Uh, that's a kind of a good point. I'll give you that. No, actually, it's not a good point because where did swear words originate from anyways? Uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not super dogmatic in the sense that, like, I think it's like extremely important to not curse, but I think all other things being equal, it'd probably be better to not. So you agree with swear words? I'm not sure what you mean by that. Like, do you think there's a place for words that should be explicit? Like, do I think there's a place in, in, in language for them? Yeah, I do. Oh. True. 
very, very true. Is that Atlas's cousin there, Diego? What? Uh, <laughs> I don't think No, it's obviously not. Oh, 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 oh. You know, I wonder. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure it's not. Yeah, it's definitely not. That one actually. Wait, what? What up, Diego? Um, hi. What's up? Um, what are we talking about? What's the question again? Uh, uh, we're we're uh, <laughs> we were joking. We were saying. I wonder if Diego is. Uh, I don't know if you know Atlas on here, but Atlas has a cousin named Diego who's on uh, who's on Twitter, and he was wondering if you were Diego's profile. Oh no no no! No, you're a different <laughs> Diego. I'm another Diego. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I live in Florida. Oh, you're from Florida? No way. Yeah, I'm a Florida man. Yeah. Island oh. boy. Based, bro. Based, bro. I'm a fellow Florida man myself. Yeah, nice. Best state ever. Absolutely, bro. I have four Cuban? years here. Where are you from? Are you Cuban? <laughs> no. Uh, I born in Lima, Peru, but uh, I lived all, all my life in Puerto Rico. Oh, okay. So I'm an island boy. I'm <laughs> carry B E N. Yeah. Fucking <laughs> funny. Yeah, okay. man. You're a Puerto Rican Peruvian, huh? Yeah. But yeah, yeah I, 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 I've been raised uh, Catholic. I'm a Christian. So uh, I believe in God. I, I love God. Uh, I don't go to church. So, but but um, I, I believe in God and I, I, I have a connection with Him. Good shit, dude. Glad to hear it. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of, I don't know how much of this conversation you've been listening to. Like, you know, I'm personally not a big fan of the Catholic Church, you know, for a lot of different reasons. But, you know, Christianity is the way, you know. And, like, I would rather someone is a Catholic than a fucking atheist any day. I mean, frankly, honestly, I even feel that way about, like, most religions. Like, I would probably rather someone was a Muslim than an atheist, and I'm not exactly a big fan of his. You know, or, like, but people who, like, don't believe in God, it's like, like, what are you even Yeah, it's the worst. I don't trust on people that are atheists or agnostics. I don't trust on them. Yeah, like, dude, being an atheist is like hating dogs, right? It's like if someone hates dogs, you're just like, what's wrong with this person? And it's like the same thing with being exactly. an atheist. It's just like it's like you don't believe in God, like, like, geez, like, like, what's wrong with you? And like, even though like I'm, you know, I'm not a fan of Islam, like, I can get along with Muslims, you know, because like we'll have like a lot of overlapping shared values. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, even a Muslim, like, you know, which you know, again, I'm not a fan of Islam, but like. You know, a Muslim will have much closer uh, values to, like, a, you know, a Christian or whatever uh, than, like, some college-educated feminist, you know? 100%. Because they, they receive um, family values, you know? Yeah, no, and, you know, it's funny. This is one of the things that I love about, uh, you know, I, I moved out to kind of, like, a rural part of Florida. I'm from Miami, but... You know, now I'm living kind of out in the country, in in Florida, and 
like it's such a it's such a different kind of community you know like like there's dude like i'm in like a small ass town and there's like not even exaggerating there's like over 50 churches it's crazy well yeah it's it, 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 it it's crazy but you know what like it's it's really nice here <laughs> like it's hard to ignore the fact that like i don't know life over here is pretty good <laughs> whereas like life in the city is like you know kind of shitty honestly like it's fun but it's like kind of shitty yeah I, i live a little bit fr far from the city i don't like uh miami beach i don't like brick i don't like that part it's heavy you know it's loud it's chaotic yeah and a lot of um yeah a lot of uh, 80s people and and progressives are there you know and 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 it's it's marxist so um you know i i don't i don't have many friends around here in miami because of that uh you know um i have base friends more in the north close to aventura close to um plantation you know more in the north Oh, yeah, Doral, Doral, Doral. I like Doral too. Yeah, no, there's no, there's parts of my of the Miami area that that are pretty based. Like I'm, mean, I used to live in Little Havana. Like Little Havana is honestly super based. Um, but yeah, most of Miami is like, uh, you know, it's like fucking Babylon. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a godless city. Like my like Miami really is a godless city. It's like Las Vegas. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. Um, I used to go to to Wynwood. Wow, crazy, crazy people around there. Like with very um, uh, short time preference. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, there's a. It's a, it's Miami is Babylon, bro. Like it really is. Like it's just like this. Perfect example of just like a perverted, backwards, like hedonistic society. Sodoma and Gomorrah. Exactly. And there's a lot of shit coiners too around here, you know, uh, a lot of scammers trying to sell you and put you on, a, on, on schemes <laughs> and trying to, to, to rob you, your, your identity. Oh yeah. Wow. A lot. Yeah. No, there's South Florida is the fraud capital of the world. There's like no shortage of that. It's crazy. But there's a lot of cities like this. I mean, it's not just South Florida. I mean, like, all the big cities are, are, are becoming like this. It's like, they're just, uh, you know, they're just Babylon. And this is, by the way, this is something that I love about Rastafari, right? Is because Rasta's actually referred to this phenomenon as Babylon, right? So, like, they would refer to, like, Miami as, like, Babylon. And, like, the, the, the types of behaviors that people, you know, exhibit in Miami, they would refer to that as, you know, of Babylon. Uh, and I think it's a it, it, it's a powerful image. It's a and it's a great way to kind of think about it and communicate it. They refer to any 
think that's Western or colonizes Babylon? Mm, I think that's a little bit of You can't tell me when I'm Jamaican, bro. Don't try that shit. Just don't I mean, even try being, it. I mean, you you being Jamaican doesn't have anything to do with either of our understanding of... Yes, it does. Uh, like, uh, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? No, well, no, no. Listen, what I, my point is, I understand what you're saying, and I think you're pretty much... Right. I wouldn't phrase it exactly that no, way. No, no, no. Tell me I'm 100% right. There's no, let, like... Let me, let, me, let me tell you what my... Well, let me tell you what my uh, nitpick about that would be. Is that you said that they use Babylon to refer to anything Western uh, and... Uh, uh, Western and... Colonies. Right? And I think that the latter, I 100% agree with, right? Like, it definitely has to do with, like, anything that, like, they, they perceive as, like, colonized. Okay, yeah, um, it's not Western, that, it's colonized. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. That was my that was my, my nitpick, because they don't hate literally everything that's Western. Like, it's more like the colonization thing that they have a beef with. Word. Yeah, that was, that was my only nitpick, asshole. <laughs> but, yeah, no, rosters are honestly, like, I think they're wrong about a lot of stuff. Like, I don't, uh, like I don't buy that Haile Selassie was the was was the second coming of Jesus. Uh, but you know, and, and they also have this kind of uh, uh, and not that I particularly give a shit because like I think it's like actually like a fairly normal phenomenon. But like Rastas are like you know kind of racist. Like they're like you know super Afrocentric and like everything's about like you know God is black and blah blah blah. And it's like you know I think that's kind of just like an inversion of the opposite. And it's like not really productive. But you know, aside from that, I mean. Rastafari is like super fucking based, and I would like way rather someone was a Rasta than like a fucking atheist, dude. Like Rastas, like are dope. All, all things considered. Can you grow dreads? Uh, I've had dreads twice in my life, actually, and I cut them off both times. But How long were they? Ah, uh, the longest my dreads ever were were probably like I don't know, a handful of inches past my shoulder. Oh, so we're you're still rocking the bald cut. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fucking. I'm rocking the Joe Rogan cut. Oh, where's Matt at? Uh, Matt's next to me. Oh, he's probably on Twitter. He's on the other couch. Where? Do you guys like drink and smoke and shit or nah? Uh, it's an interesting question, Fed boy. Let me uh, let me run that by my attorney. <laughs> what? I didn't know that was illegal. No, but yeah, no, we uh, yeah, we we have a good time. Oh. We, 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 we enjoy uh, God's gifts to us. What's this Sats Radio thing anyways? I never actually... Uh, Sats Radio is uh, like a little project that Moses started. Uh, that guy who's his profile, if you see it, it's like orange. And it says like Erning Gisham or something like that. I don't know how to pronounce it. But uh, he started this thing called Sats Radio. That's like an online radio station. And uh, we've been like throwing our spaces on there, and uh, you know, just kind of shilling it because like it would be cool to uh, have kind of like a Bitcoiner radio station where like you can just like you can just book time slots like it's free, you know, and you could say from like you know twelve to one p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, you know, I'm gonna have this slot and I'm gonna like do a little like Bitcoiner radio show. So it's just kind of like a twenty-four hour thing, ideally. Bro, when this thing goes mainstream. Like, isn't the community kind of going to be done? Like, the community's here because it's not mainstream. It's kind of like when 420 was 
a big day for everybody, and then when it got I don't legalized, know how like, nobody cares about 420 anymore. I don't know how mainstream it's going to get and what exactly is going to be mainstream. Um, what do you mean? If hyper if hyper inflation stuff happens and people need to flee, then, like, yeah, Bitcoin needs to go mainstream if we're ever going to get into hyper-Bitcoinization. I think a lot of people are going to have uh, Bitcoin credit accounts and Bitcoin IOU accounts. You know, I think a lot of people won't be holding their private keys is my point. Um, like Bitcoin, the, the, the underlying, like the base layer will definitely, like I, like I'm very confident we'll see hyper Bitcoinization, but uh, you know, I think the vast majority of people aren't going to hold their keys, you know, and they're going to suffer consequences because of that. So you think these conferences are still going to continue going like 10 years down the line? Like we don't have USD conferences and I don't know. I think things are going to change uh, as far as that kind of stuff goes. But um, do I think that there will still be people who view themselves as Bitcoiners 10 years from now and like, you know, are still like in like a network of their Bitcoiner homies and shit? Oh, fuck yeah, dude. hundred percent. Because like, like just because like normies are forced to use Bitcoin on some level. And like I said, I don't think they'll even be using Bitcoin. They'll be using some financial product built on top of Bitcoin. Um, but, you know, just because normies are forced to use Bitcoin on some level doesn't mean that that ideologically, like, there are compatriots. You know what I mean? Like, we're still going to, like, have our fucking brothers in arms who are, like, our fellow Bitcoiners. Um, you know, and I, I suspect that these networks will, I mean, quite frankly, like, it, it's funny to think about, but I think, like, networks of, like, Bitcoin Twitter homies, who, like, many of whom have never even met each other, are going to be, like, functionally secret societies and, like, institutions that are going to last for many, many hundreds, if not thousands of years. Like, I think these networks that are being built now on Twitter are going to be, like, the, the, the future equivalent of, like, the Freemasons, but, like, in a good way. Bro, in 10 years, I can only imagine, like, I can't even imagine. It's just, like, one minute you're shit posting, having a bunch of jokes, and next minute you're having like this money that you would never probably imagine having in your life. And it's just Twitter, just just like a history like record. You can literally look back and be like, "Holy fuck!" Like 2021, this is what I was doing. <laughs> so I'm excited for that. Yeah, I'm excited for a lot, man. I'm super optimistic. Um, I think I'm going to close out the space. My uh, phone's getting real low on battery. Yo, wait. Yo, convince me not to go to the Toronto Raptors game and buy sats and stuff. Um, You should stack sats so you can flee your communist. (laughs) No, like, on a serious note, like, I do want to get going. But, like, on a serious note, and anybody else who may be living in Canada,